Today was one of the craziest days in the in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, and I didn't think it could, it could get any crazier. When the state brought in Gage Grosskreutz, who testified that he was only fired upon when he pointed a weapon at Kyle Rittenhouse, I thought it was just, this is too nuts. Today, there was a, the defense filed a motion for a mistrial with prejudice, meaning that the prosecution has committed misconduct or error to such a degree there can't be a fair trial, and because of this, they should not be allowed to retry Kyle Rittenhouse. The judge actually said, I will take the motion under advisement, yelled at the prosecutor on more than one occasion, legit, literally yelled at him and said, if one more thing happens. So here's here's what we might see. We probably won't. But there's people speculating about a directed verdict in which the judge could just say as a matter of law, Kyle Rittenhouse is not guilty. I'm not convinced that'll happen, but hey, I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea. The other thing that could, that could happen is that the defense could come in in the morning with a full motion filed for a mistrial with prejudice. And this was over specifically the, the prosecutors bringing up evidence the judge had ruled would not be allowed. And the prosecution questioned Kyle Rittenhouse because of his right to remain silent. It was such an egregious violation. The judge called it a grave constitutional violation and actually yelled at the prosecutor saying it's a matter. I mean, he's yelling. A matter of basic law for 50 years. Crazy. We got to talk about all this. We also have Anna Kasparian of the Young Turks admitting she was wrong. Mm. Much respect to Anna for that, because if we, we just need people to watch the trial to understand. We got the breakdown from the New York Times over all of their bullet points. I imagine we'll be arguing with them because the media has been it's all been malpractice in the media, as we can expect. And then we got Jimmy Kimmel saying that Kamala Harris's historically low uh, uh, approval rating is due to racism and sexism. Go figure. And we got some information about Alec Baldwin. Apparently, on set, one witness says the scene did not call for him to draw a weapon and, and point it at anybody. So there's a lot of questions about that we'll get into. Of course, we're hanging out with Mr. Jack Murphy. Good to be back, guys. I missed last time, but I'm happy to be here. Happy to see everybody's doing well. Luke, I'm even happy to see you. <laughs> wow, thank you. I'm Jack. You can find me at Jack Murphy Live or come to Jack Brunch, jackbrunch.com. We just had an awesome event in Austin. Anybody I know going to Austin? We're going to Austin. You going to Austin? We're flying out on Saturdays, five 5.30 a.m. We got to get up. Fantastic. Ooh. Austin, work, work, work. beautiful town. We had almost 90 people out at brunch. It was a great Sweet. time. We're going to be in San Francisco area. Not in that liberal hellhole vax mandate. Nope. We're going across the river or the bay to Sausalito. Oh, I was just thinking about Sausalito. So come on down, jackbrunch.com. Very nice. Jack, Jack where's your 10-piece uh, suit? 10-piece uh, suit? You know, I, I you like to dress, dress up, up for us, and I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> well, I wanted to match you in your, what should we call this, your casual wear? Well, today I am wearing another We Are Change exclusive t-shirt, um, pretty much depicting the weapons used in World War One, World War Two, and currently our World War Three, or as some people are saying, fourth or fifth generational warfare. And it's a shirt that you can get exclusively on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. And because you do, I'm here. So thanks for having me. It's a camera loaded with cash. Yeah, that's, 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 that's pretty much the modern day machine gun. Dude, an hour ago, I was taking a shower thinking about Sausalito, thinking if, if you're ever going to go to San Francisco, just go to Sausalito and get a view of San Francisco across the bay. That's awesome. You guys are having Jack Brunch there. Jackbrunch.com. Come on down. Oh, yeah, and you should nice. come. You know when you should come? You should come to the one in D.C. on February 27th. Oh. As long as that works with our schedule, because we're going to be traveling a lot the next couple months, that's next six true. months. Yeah. We'll, we'll, but I'm 100%. If we're in town, I'm going to that. Oh, goodness. Oh, I am excited at the prospect of this brunch. I do like Luke's shirt. That's very thought-provoking. And I wanted to say that I hope that you guys are all keeping the witnesses for this trial in your thoughts, uh, as we know people who are going on the stand. And Indeed. it is very stressful. So keep them in your thoughts and prayers. 
All right, I think we're No, you guys go. keep talking because I'm trying to pull up the What, the, what the are we pulling up over there? Well, I'm talking about snakes and frogs if you guys want to talk <laughs> about. <laughs> I think it is really remarkable that guys that we know, people we talk to, people yeah. we hang out with, our colleagues and friends are in the middle of this amazing trial, which is having such an impact and could have even more of an impact not only on Kyle's life but uh, on the nation at large. I was listening to Crowder earlier today, and he's 100% right when he talks about how this trial could be any one of us. It could be any conservative, anybody who decided that they needed to try to defend themselves, which is terrifying. I'm genuinely concerned about what happens with this case, so I'm excited to get into it. You know, I do wonder, like, how nationally prevalent is the case? Like, I asked my kids about it, and they're like, they yeah, we're not, even, we're not even talking about it in school or anything. Like Don't forget, go to TimCast.com, become a member of a members-only segment coming up around 11 or so p.m., and you can go to the store. I'm actually bummed about this. YouTube hasn't approved yet our shirt, Step on Snack and Find Out, oh, and there's a cute little angry snake. And it's not approved on YouTube. It's up on the store. You can buy it. It's 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 a, it's a funny little shirt. Hopefully soon we can put it on YouTube. But until then, smash the like button, subscribe to this ch- uh, channel, share the show with your friends. I am I am. Uh, this story has has lit me up. Jack was just mentioning that like my segment at four, I was going crazy. I'm like Rah! I'm like yelling <laughs> into the camera. Check this out from TimCast.com. Prosecution reprimanded by judge for quote grave constitutional violation during cross-examination of Rittenhouse. Judge Schroeder also dressed down the prosecution for attempting to bring in evidence that he banned from admission. This is where it gets crazy. In the trial, I'll give you the gist real quick. The prosecution said evidence that occurred, uh, you call it evidence, I don't know, an event that occurred four months after the night in question is not admissible because it has nothing to do with him defending himself. And so they're like, okay, the prosecutors started bringing it up anyway, and the judge got mad and he got pissed. But the craziest moment was when the prosecution asked Kyle Rittenhouse, why haven't you told this story before until tonight? And then he says, you waited until everyone testified so you could tailor your testimony. And then it was boom, objection. The judge goes off. He's like, what, what do you think you're doing? You can't, you can't do this. You can't question someone as to their, to their right to remain silent. You know this. You're a, he's like, you're an experienced trial uh, prosecutor. When the second violation came up, he snapped. He's like, I can't believe I was astonished that you would dare bring up something like that. It's a matter of basic law for 40, 50 years. And then the prosecutor's like, you know, uh, when it came to the question of the evidence he was bringing in, the prosecutor's like, you open the door, Your Honor. And he's like, for me, not for you. Don't you get brazen with me. I was shocked. And here's where it gets really crazy. The de- I didn't. I didn't think it was going to happen. The defense said that if this persisted, they would file a motion for a mistrial with prejudice, meaning that the prosecutors erred or or attempted to break the rules to prejudice the jury against Rittenhouse to such a degree he would never have a fair trial, and that the judge would have to uh, dismiss dismiss with prejudice, meaning they could never file these same charges again. Mm. Surprisingly, they when when, when they put uh, Kyle on the stand. He ends. He gets. He starts crying. He's breaking down. When they come back, the craziest thing: the defense actually files the motion asking a judge for a mistrial with prejudice. The ju- this is when the judge starts getting into it. The prosecutor. He says, "I will take the motion under advisement," and then essentially says, "If there's one more violation to the prosecutor." So people are speculating now, saying what might happen is that the judge and the judge has actually said this. 
he uh, something something to this effect. He doesn't want there to be a circumstance in which he intervenes and shuts down the court proceedings. He wants the jury to be able to come to their findings. But there's speculation, and I don't know how valuable the speculation is, that there could be a directed verdict, meaning that as a matter of law, the charges against Kyle Rittenhouse are impossible to to, to get. When you had Kyle Rittenhouse, according to to uh, the state's witnesses himself and every witness, he was yelling friendly and fleeing the scene. You can't get intentional homicide on that. But the judge didn't rule it. And people are saying maybe he wants to see if the jury will rule correctly. He might intervene after the fact. So you can tell him really amped about this. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I was listening to your, your uh, segment on 2X on the way up here, man. You were going, was, you were hyped. You know, one of the things I keep thinking about, and I've seen some other people ask about it, is this court case is being televised. And it's clear that the judge is at least neutral, if not, you know, I don't know. He seems he's at least neutral, right? He's not biased. He's not clearly got a left-wing bias. How many times across the nation over and over and over again are prosecutors doing these things that are unconstitutional and getting away with it and even just having the judge basically on their side as a way to put people away that they think are political, uh, you know, sort of you know, on the other side of the political spectrum. I'm sure from what I've heard from Julie Kelly and other people covering the January 6th stuff that uh, if the judge, this judge here, the Rittenhouse judge was there in, in D.C. or wherever they're trying these January 6th stuff, that it would be going a lot differently. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it brings up, you know, the idea of like maybe every single court case should be televised so that we can see every single thing that's going on so that these people can be watched. Mm. It's kind of scary to me to Definitely. think that people, that guy, an experienced prosecutor who clearly knows about the Constitution, I've read from other lawyers that this is a subject that comes up a couple of times in law school, plus it's on the bar exam. You can't you can't bring up the fact or use it against them that the guy didn't speak after his arrest, and yet there he did, just as the judge said, brazenly yep. violating this guy's constitutional rights in the letter and in the spirit of the whole thing. How often is this happening all across the country? This, th- this is a prosecutor who knows he has the the mob, the rioters, and the press on his side. And even after all of these grave constitutional violations, that's what the judge said, the media doesn't cover it. The media, the media uh, just says like Kyle written. They, they frame everything to the worst degree for right. Kyle. Kyle cries on the stand because he probably killed the guys. Yeah. Is the headline? Well, <laughs> uh, the Daily Beast said he, Kyle Rittenhouse makes wild accusations about those uh, claiming they were threatening him, and I'm like, wild accusations. There's multiple witnesses saying that that Rosenbaum said, "If I get you alone, I'll effing kill you." Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. That was, that was the, you had the state's own witness saying he drew his gun on Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. And the Daily Beast lie. False frame, I'll say they falsely framed. Look, I wasn't there. Obviously, I wasn't there. But that was one night that I watched as many streams as I possibly could. I watched BG. I watched Richie. I watched one guy even aggregate like three or four streams into one. So like, I was there when uh, that guy became the N-word guy. Remember? Mm-hmm. Like, not there, but like I was watching at the gas station. Oh, yeah, Rosenbaum. Yeah, when Rosenbaum became, we were just calling him the N-word guy because we didn't know who he right. was because he was running around screaming the N-word. He was obviously agitating. He was looking for conflict. I'm going to get you. I'm going to do this, blah, 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 blah. And like the people in the press and, and popular interpretation just did not experience that the way that the guys on the ground obviously did, that Rittenhouse obviously did. And then those of us who were watching it intently actually experienced it that night. Yeah, framing is everything because you could take certain facts and you could admit some of them, you could highlight some of them. And, you know, there's different stories being told, but 
The fact that this case is being live streamed, I think, is absolutely amazing. I think we should live stream all of criminal court cases just so we could actually get uh, an unbiased point of view to what's actually happening here. But it was kind of wild seeing the state prosecutor literally argue more with the judge, interrupt the judge more than he did the defense. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's, what's going on here? There was a number of times the judge snapped on the state prosecutor who looked like he was a deer in headlights for many of the uh, proceedings. So, again, <laughs> the mainstream media attacking Kyle is nothing new. They've been attacking him from the very beginning. We, we didn't even know a lot of the details here. The mainstream media came out with a lot of spin on this story and highlighted specific events that fit their narrative. Now, there's another narrative. There's, you know, talk about some of these people who, who were shot, their criminal past, their criminal history. People are just selecting and p- picking whatever fits their narrative. But truly, seeing this live, raw, unedited, I think is extremely important. And I think we should normalize this uh, as much as we can. Yeah. I mean, aside from being on the ground, I watched it live from multiple streams. I've interviewed Richie and BG on the scene. I was just listening to the podcast that we did with them uh, back in the summertime. Uh, It's one of these things where like I I have such almost firsthand experience in this. You know, I wasn't there. But like to see the discrepancy between what happened that night, talking to eyewitnesses, watching the trial and then seeing what's happening in the headlines. Like how? Where did they even get the, the white supremacists and this and that? I mean, they're, 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 they didn't even kill anybody. Was black? Yeah, they're, they're they're all tweeting that Kyle Rittenhouse killed three black people. Yeah. What? Right. Like, what? okay, hold on, hold on. Not it's everyone, just, but there's some elements on Twitter and social people media. People on Twitter are that. pushing this. That there's and they're not getting fact checked at all. There, there was a, a a New York lawyer account with like quarter million followers who tweeted, "I have not been following this in my new detail, but I think the fact remains: Kyle Rittenhouse crossed state lines with an assault rifle right. to go to a protest." And I'm like. The prosecutor has charges against Dominic Black for supplying a weapon in Wisconsin to Kyle Rittenhouse. That's a substantial portion of the criminal proceedings out of Kenosha. These people don't even understand what the prosecutor is going for in this. They just made something up. They all tweet about it. They don't fact check. They don't watch the trial. And then they claim they did. I've been sitting here every morning with it on live stream on TV. And then just like reading all the legal analysis from like Ricardo Law and from Andrew Branca and a plethora of other, uh, you know, legal analyses, watching all these live streams. And I'm not going to pretend to be a lawyer and know, right? All of the, the nitty gritty details in the law, the defense is citing various laws that were violated by the prosecutor. I can just tell you the judge screamed at the prosecutor yeah. for, for a grave constitutional yeah. violation. Yeah. He said, he, he was like, you're on the borderline. You may be over it. I was actually pissed. He cut himself off too. He's like, and then, uh, uh. I'll just I'll just leave it at that for right now. You, you, you want to know why I was pissed? I, I was listening to Ricada's stream, and it was fantastic. Ricada had seventy thousand viewers on his stream. It's, it's really really almost great like Timcast. Oh yeah, close. I mean, but <laughs> that's way bigger than we've been in yeah, this past year. I mean, and, and so their their commentary is fantastic. And I don't know who it was, but they made the comment that the judge does it doesn't he wants to prove that these trials can happen, that the process can work. And as soon as I heard that, I realized. If the judge does not declare a mistrial with prejudice, he proves that prosecution can violate your constitutional rights, prejudice the jury by admitting evidence that was deemed inadmissible, and the judge will allow it to happen. But if he has this dueling incentive of a wanting the jury to rule on the facts and perhaps come back with a not guilty verdict at the same time as wanting to protect his constitutional rights and the and the process and such and maybe then go to this direct verdict that's a that's a tough one for the judge to actually manage isn't it it is yeah. it is but i think some people have speculated that the judge will wait for the jury to issue their finding and then intervene can you imagine 
It, it happens. But I mean, can you yeah. imagine if they come back and say guilty on all tra- on all charges, and the judge is like, nah, nah. yeah, yep. The reaction is going to be absolutely that would probably insane. be worst case scenario. And then, right? I mean, the Look. Chicago Police Department already put out a notice saying uh, for officers that their leave is not um, going to be uh, approved because they want all officers on the force because they're expecting civil unrest to happen in uh, major cities. So already, there's a lot of threats. There's a lot of hyperbolic language on on social media that's not getting fact checked. That's not getting corrected. That's being escalated. That's being promoted. Uh, so this is building up to uh, another recipe of disaster, especially with the mainstream media putting fuel on the fire in this entire situation, blatantly lying about it. If I'll, I'll, there's I'll, an, there's I enough. I to address that real yeah, quick. Yeah, go you, for it. You, you mentioned the rock in the hard place with the judge. I thought about that. I'm like, if he intervenes, people will claim there is no fair trial. But if we watch prosecutorial misconduct, malicious prosecution, when you, there was, what was the guy's name? De Bruin, I think his name was. Do you see this? The witness who testified <coughs> that ADA Krauss and Binger brought him in and told him oh, to yeah. change his right. police statement. Mm-hmm. Right. Malicious prosecution. That was on Zeminsky. I think his name is, is Zeminsky. Yeah, is that Zeminsky, his name? Joshua. Not on Rittenhouse. But these guys are clearly corrupt. If the judge says, I'm going to allow this corruption to play through, then, then uh, unfortunately, the system is broken. Maybe this isn't the A team either. I mean, if you if you grow up and your biggest uh, goal in life is to become the prosecutor in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Yikes. does that mean that you're the you're the A team prosecutor? No offense to Kenosha or small towns around the country or anything, but maybe maybe this is just standard, you know, incompetence that we see. And I mean, I have no idea. I haven't sat in on too many murder trials. In fact, the one that stands out to me is is OJ. This is all reminding me a little bit of the OJ trial. I was in college. You guys are probably too young for this, but I remember the whole country was watching, man. And in fact, like the I remember I was in class at university. It just stopped the day of the verdict and like it was such a big deal. We were all watching it. I don't think that this has that same level of national prominence, but just it is along a, among politicos. Oh yeah, definitely. People like yeah. us. Let me let me bring up this mainstream media stuff because someone actually just chatted this and I had a, so I had the New York Times pulled up. I want to go through what the media has been saying, but this CNN article is one of the most egregious violations of the truth. What? CNN writes Kyle Rittenhouse testifies he knew Joseph <coughs> Rosenbaum was unarmed when he fatally shot him. That is completely immaterial. It it was a a a small second of this massive trial, and this is what the media does. They, they, they pull snippets. This is also an interesting point, though. Many people thought it was crazy they put Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand. There were a few points he made that could not have been admitted as evidence unless he testified. And that's why people think maybe, maybe that's why they put him on the stand. One was that Rosenbaum had threatened his life on two occasions mm. and that he knew that the Zeminsky guy was armed and he testified he heard the gunshot as he was running and turned. What this, what the prosecutor is trying to do is falsely frame as much as possible. Now, I noticed a lot of people asking why the defense wasn't objecting to the insane questions of, of, of the prosecutor. Some have suggested the prosecutor's line of questioning were so absurd, it's prejudicing the jury against him. Mm. He kept asking the same question over. He asked the same question like five times. Huh. And every time Kyle would answer him, he'd say, I'll ask you again. When you were going, he, he was doing things like you wanted to kill those people. And Kyle goes, I didn't want to kill anybody. And he goes, I'll ask you again. You went out there because you wanted to kill those people, right? And he goes, I didn't want to kill anybody. He asked the question again. 
What the heck? Over and over again. Yeah, he was bringing up video games. Uh, he right. was trying to insinuate yeah. that video games are, are akin to killing people. Right. No, and he said, don't you play Call of Duty with your friend Dominic Black? And he's like, I, I mean, maybe sometimes. And he goes, and isn't the point of that game to take these rifles and kill people? And then he was like, video games aren't real life. <laughs> and then he started talking about AR-15s being prominent in the video game. And, and Kyle was like, well, there's a lot of other firearms. There's pistols and shotguns in there as well. But he was like, but AR-15s are the most prominent ones. And they're like, no. Shovels. And, and a Shovels. lot of people a lot of people were saying that it was almost as if the term and concept of an AR-15 was on trial. Since right. how much it was brought up, so how much it was talked about. Let me, let me, let me show you how, how CNN frames this. This is not an opinion piece. This is CNN's factual news. They say, Kyle Rittenhouse testified Wednesday that he acted in self-defense when he fatally shot a man who had thrown a plastic bag at him and chased him last year in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in what is likely to be a p- the pivotal testimony of his homicide trial. Quote, I didn't do anything wrong. I defended myself, he testified. But in cross-examination, Rittenhouse said that he knew the man, Joseph Rosenbaum, was unarmed when he ran at the teenager. Rittenhouse said he pointed his rifle at Rosenbaum in an attempt to deter him, adding that he knew pointing a rifle at someone is dangerous. False. That was leading questions from the prosecution. The prosecution said, did you point your weapon at Rosenbaum? Well, yeah, of course he did. And you did that because you wanted him to know you would kill him and you meant business. And then Kyle, of course, like says, I didn't want to kill him. I didn't want to do it. And he keeps getting asked. asked. What, what CNN is doing is they're taking statements from the prosecution that Kyle either passively agreed with or said, I guess, and they're acting like he himself said it. Quote, he was chasing me. I was alone. He threatened to kill me earlier that night. I didn't want to have to shoot him. I pointed it at him because he kept running at me and I didn't want him to chase me. You see, they choose, they select all of the worst possible quotes from Rittenhouse. He said that he feared Rosenbaum, who did not touch his body at all that night, would take his gun and kill people, omitting the fact that the, it was, I believe it was the medical, uh, uh, forensics, uh, medical examiner who said Rosenbaum's hand was on the gun. And Kyle Rittenhouse who said, he grabbed my gun. The prosecution then said, but he didn't touch your body. And Kyle was like, <clears throat> right. And now CNN takes that mm. to falsely frame exactly what happened. Let me pull up this New York Times real quick. They say key moments from Kyle Rittenhouse's testimony. One of the things they say, Thomas Binger, the lead prosecutor, pressed Mr. Rittenhouse about why he aimed a rifle at Joseph Rosenbaum, who had run toward him but was unarmed. You wanted him to get the message from you that if you come any closer, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> That's why you pointed the gun at him. Mr. Rittenhouse said he did not want to kill Mr. Rosenbaum, though he believed Rosenbaum was trying to disarm him. Quote, if I would have let Mr. Rosenbaum take my firearm from me, he would have used it and killed me with it and probably killed more people. So respect to the New York Times for putting that quote in right at the top. Yeah, that was important. But New York Times, Julie Bosman states, Gross, Grosskreutz, Grosskreutz, a paramedic from West Dallas, Milwaukee suburb, was shot in the arm by Rittenhouse. She says that he was holding a handgun pointed in the air when Rittenhouse shot him from a short distance away. Why? So that was that was at uh, she tweeted that at I copied it at 515 p.m. Then I tweeted at her. You should probably delete this. And at 515 p.m. She deleted it. Well, good. Right. Look, 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 look. But she tried to put it out there until she was fact checked on it. She wasn't actually doing her job. She was making things up until the tweet started to go viral. And people were like, why are you lying? There are two stages to this. We should absolutely criticize people who are incompetent, which is a large portion of the Twitterati, the progressives and the media. When she puts out a false statement like that, that's very serious. I, so uh, during the prosecution, uh, during, during the trial, the prosecution wanted to bring up video on an iPad and they wanted to pinch to Zoom. And the defense objected, saying 
that Apple's iPad uses artificial intelligence, 3D enhancing logarithms to change the image. And I tweeted out that was insane and stupid (laughs) because like the the, the image interpolation is a very simple thing. As you expand it, a program, uh, machine learning basically tries to fill in gaps that are missing. It's not 3D. It's not artificial intelligence. That's still, and then people were like, Tim, you're making fun of boomers trying to explain something. And I was like, okay, I'll delete it. I'll delete it. I have no problem um, that people make mistakes. And there's a lot of journalists, so you'll see a lot of mistakes. But we should absolutely criticize if I said something wrong, people did. And I said, okay, I'll accept it. When she puts out fake information, she'll accept it. We should not, we should not tolerate it. But we'll be nice about when they do bad jobs. We'll not, we'll, we sh- they should not remain in those positions if they're that bad. But the next degree is like CNN. Falsely framing, select, cherry picking quotes and manipulating the narrative or NPR claiming that Grosskreutz testified his hands were in the air when he was shot. When he, te- when he testified to the defense that it was only after he pointed the gun at Rittenhouse. That is egregious. When MSNBC put out a video where they say Grosskreutz testified his hands were up. Then they show a clip of something totally irrelevant that is intentionally trying to manipulate people. That's the second level of that. Jeffrey uh, Tubin was also <laughs> on CNN. Jeffrey Tubin, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who spanked it to his coworkers on Zoom. And he was on CNN, and he literally <laughs> yep. said, uh, quote, Kyle is an idiot. Uh, which I, I think is just, uh, I mean, I mean, that's the type of level of commentary you expect from CNN, but still, even when, when it, when it happens, it's still surprising to, to, to see it as that blatantly out there right in front of your face because uh, truly what they're doing is a huge disservice and people who are paying attention watching the trial are getting a totally different perspective than people who, of course, are just editorializing and commenting about it, uh, like Tubin was. I think Kyle had a hard time on the stand. He, he, he answered a lot of questions very, very well. So the prosecution, uh, when the defense was, 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 uh, exa- was, was doing the direct with, with, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, Kyle, of course, you know, he's probably working this out with the defense, answered the questions. He did a really good job. He explained, you know, why he was there, what his goals were. When it came to cross-examination with the prosecutor, the prosecutor was just badgering him and badgering him and caught him up in a few instances. And now the New York Times says, Mr. Rittenhouse struggled to give clear answers to questions about why he brought his gun as he ran towards the car lot with a fire extinguisher. The event that immediately preceded the shooting of Mr. Rosenbaum. I'm watching the testimony and he's, and one of the questions he asked was, after the protesters cleared away from this area, why did you walk directly in this direction instead of going around them? And I'm like, that's a question that can only be asked in hindsight. And Kyle didn't have a good answer because he never thought about it and he's on the spot. And that's why it was a huge risk to put him on the stand, because that question is garbage, nonsensical. Yeah. He, he was like, why did you have your gun? What were you trying to be protected? Like, he, he asked him, why were you looking for Ryan Belch? And Kyle was like, because you're safer in Paris. Safer from who? And it's just like, Kyle didn't have good answers for this. But I think he's, he's, an 18, he's 18. He's not experienced. And this is why it's a risk to put him on the stand. If he was sharper, if he was quicker... You know, he could have said something like... Because there was rioters and arsonists and people doing violence all over the place? Because criminals exist. Mm. Yeah. Because when you go out on the streets for any reason, you're you're safer with another person, yeah. regardless of whether or not there's a riot or a protest. So many of these questions strike me as being in the same vein of, why did you wear that miniskirt mm. out at yep. night, young lady? Yep. So, so one of the issues was when he was asking Kyle, like, why did you bring a gun? It's like... Because someone might attack me. Who? I don't know. And, and, but Kyle actually had a really good answer. He said, you brought the gun. 
you, you uh, the prosecution said to Kyle, asked him, why did you bring the gun? And Kyle says, I thought I needed protection. And then he said, protection from whom? And Kyle said something to the effect of, I didn't think I would need to use protection. And then the defense, the prosecutor goes, I'm confused. You said you needed protection. Now you're saying you didn't. And Kyle very quickly and very, very on, on point sharp said, I thought I needed to bring protection, but I didn't think I would need to use it. And that was really, really good. But when you have a prosecutor who's asking the same question 50 times, right. you now give the media the opportunity to say he couldn't answer. At a, at Kyle kept, was, was like getting confused and saying, I'm not understand, I don't understand your question. One of the things Binger said was that hollow point bullets, when they're fired <laughs> into somebody, explode. And Kyle's like, what? And the judge was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? It seems like a gish gallop. Are you familiar with a gish gallop? I have literally never heard that in my <laughs> life. It's a debate tactic where you throw as much garbage oh, yeah. at someone yeah. so that they look like they can't answer the question properly. Mm. So instead of asking a question in a debate like, it's two plus two, four, you go, look, two plus two equals five and two plus two equals six and three minus seven is 22 and you know it's 22 and now we have seven minus three is four and your opponent goes, oh, wait, wait, wait what did you say? What? And the goal is to make you look confused to the audience or it's, it's, no, I don't know. Are these common tactics, generally speaking, when doing a uh, cross examination of witness like this? Or is this specific to this case because they don't have a real case and they're trying to use these psychological tactics? Well, I mean, I think they're just fishing. They're, they're trying to throw out as much as they can, see what they could get back. I mean, being cross examined like that for hours is difficult. It's, it's not easy. So, I mean, just watching the, the case, it really looked like, let's just, let's just keep throwing something at it. Let's see if we get something back. And, you know, if you're a state prosecutor, they're going to do everything in their power. They're going to take as much time as they want to, of course, try to beat up the, 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 the witness, beat up the person being questioned and, and try to make, try to literally break him. Uh, that, that's a tactic used by many people in cross examinations. Just keep berating him, keep beating him, keep asking him the questions to see maybe it's an interrogation tactic too, to keep asking the same question, but in different formats. Sure. And you, and you start, Until- you start off by asking him like did, something that you know is an affirmative. Did you do that? Yes. Did you walk over here? Yes. And you get them in the habit of saying, yep. I, I have given testimony under oath a number of times, depositions in court and whatnot. And with some lawyers, you know, in my mind, I know where they're going and I can answer honestly and still sort of, you know, screw with them and, and win the game. But I am not 18 years old. I am not on the stand fighting for my life. I am not being accused of murder. That has got to be an extraordinarily stressful circumstance. There's actually, there was an amazing point where they freeze frame a moment when he had, when he, when, when Gage Grosskreutz was attacking him. They freeze frame it and in the still, Rittenhouse's gun is pointed forward towards the legs of Gage Grosskreutz, who, Grosskreutz, how you pronounce the name, whose hands are up. And then he's like, he's not pointing a weapon at you, but you're pointing a weapon at him. And then Kyle Rittenhouse says, you've, it's a freeze frame. I believe if you play the video, you'll see I'm actually lowering the weapon. And I was like, wow, like Kyle actually did a pretty good job on the stand. However, it's the, it's the James Bond technique. If you ask a woman to, you know, to hook up 30 times, this is is literally the James Bond jokes from Family Guy. Ask the woman 30 times and she says no. When you finally says yes, James Bond looks at the camera and goes 30 no's and one yes means yes. It's, it's, it was, it, that's the James Bond joke. But the point is, that's what abusers do. They know that they can ask you the question 20 times until you finally get confused and say what they need. And then they can put that on the record and then go to the, the jury and say, remember when he testified X? It's like, yeah, if you ask the same question 50 times and confused him, that's a tactic. 
They don't have a case. The crazy thing, I'll, I'll say it again, was when the defense actually stated to the judge that the prosecutors either have forgotten the rulings of the judge or are purposefully trying to trigger a mistrial because they know they have no case and they don't want this to go before the jury. The defense actually said that to the judge. Massive. Now, what does it mean when they've, can, can the judge, and we're not lawyers, but can the judge receive a motion and not rule on it? So one of the things the judge said, uh, so they wrapped up uh, about, I think, like um, Eastern time, 540 or so. The judge was actually contemplating bringing another witness, but he said, it's a little late. You know, why don't we uh, you know, come back tomorrow? First thing in the morning, we'll dismiss the jury. And he said to the defense, I'll get you my preliminary. No, no, I, I won't promise that, but we'll see what happens. So I think the judge is going to uh, um, issue a, a ruling on the motion. So, but I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea. I have no idea. You're better off, you know, listening to lawyer commentary. That's just what the judge said about a preliminary ruling on it. I'm crossing my fingers, and I mm-hmm. hope we have this much attention on the Ghislaine Maxwell case, which is going to be starting <laughs> in a little bit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, please, please, let's keep we up will. this kind of judicial you uh, attention uh, on, on such important uh, issues. I was thinking that she was actually hooking up with a bunch of those people that would come to the ha- Epstein's place. And well, then- there's a lot of very serious allegations around her, but I don't want to deviate too much from yeah, this particular case. I, I got to give a shout out. I got to give a shout out. We're sitting here. We're criticizing the media. Yes. And there's someone in the media who deserves some respect. And people are not going to want to accept it. Oh. But we're, 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 we're uh, um, people of principle. Anna Kasparian of the Young Turks. Check this out from the Daily Wire. Quote, I was wrong. Young Turks Kasparian admits she bought into false Rittenhouse narrative. Mad respect. Hmm. 100% respect. Wow. Disagree with her politics. I think the Young Turks have been very unfair to me. I think they've lied about me on more than one occasion. Cenk Uger screamed at me at Politicon for no reason. When I, I've known the guy for years, and I politely asked him, like, hey, you guys put up a smear piece on Dave Rubin, but, like, my name's, like, in the thumbnail in the middle. And then he starts yelling at me. All of that aside, if you recognize that you're wrong and you correct it, I will give you the respect you deserve. Because if we if we still, you know, if someone comes out and says, you know, I bought into this false narrative on Kyle Rittenhouse, which is what Anna Kasparian did— and then we refuse to accept their acknowledgement, you only encourage them to keep doing bad. Mm. We tell them, thank you for, for saying the right thing with, with respect. And hopefully they continue to do the right thing, do the research. Looking at these tweets from people, they keep saying, crossing state lines with a gun, crossing state lines with a gun. They keep saying, assault rifle, assault rifle. Wrong. These people have not done any, any research into this at all. And if they do, I'll give them the respect they deserve. Well, that's big that she came out and corrected her statement because if we remember, I mean, the mainstream media, especially MSNBC, they were calling Kyle a domestic terrorist, a mass murderer. They were using extremely hyperbolic language in order to kind of inflame this situation. There's people trying to make this about race. And again, this has nothing to do with any of that. But when it comes to this kind of salacious action, someone actually saying, hey, I was actually wrong here is very big because the mainstream media doubled down, tripled down, and they're still trying to ignore a lot of important facts in this case. They didn't know what happened, but they still were able to declare definitely domestic terrorists, definitely a mass murderer. Again, we're still finding out all the details of the case here, and the picture portrayed here is totally different. I saw a really funny tweet. You know you know who I love to shout out is Cameron Kasky? <sighs> because... You know, he seemed like somebody who was acting in good faith initially, but he's totally just lost any will, to be honest. He tweeted something really funny. He tweeted, how come all of something I'm paraphrasing. How come all of these centrists are so much smarter than me? 
And I thought it was really funny because he's, you know, he's being sarcastic. He's saying they're not. But I realized that's the attitude that many of these establishment Democrat types and leftists have, where they don't actually read the news. They don't know what they're talking about, but they're arrogant enough to get online and say these things. And there are tribalist individuals who are willing to retweet it because it makes them feel good inside. But when you come out and say assault rifle, when literally not a single person in Kenosha had an assault rifle, not a single person, I'm not going to play stupid semantic games. They meant long gun, not assault rifle. But they, but saying that is factually and legally wrong. And they don't bother to do a Google search. A Google search. Five seconds to figure out what an assault rifle is. They don't even do that. They get verified, they get a million followers, and then they tweet, I'm smarter than you. I prefer DuckDuckGo, but that's just a separate topic. Right. Go ahead, Jack. Uh, well, you know, I was thinking that a lot of these people's uh, perceptions on this are prejudiced from the actions that Facebook and GoFundMe took very early on, right? Mm. Right? So if Facebook, if Facebook, where grandma shares pictures of her cats, tells me that Rittenhouse is clearly guilty and you get suspended... Uh, I don't know. They remember the details, but they did ban and censor some elements about this. And GoFundMe definitely took down his fundraiser. Well, then it must be true because Facebook is a benign entity where my pictures of my grandkids are getting likes from all of our cousins. Social media took people down for talking about facts of this case. So that's that's absolutely huge. People were prevented from having a discussion what was going on here. We only got mainstream media dribble and assertions and then everyone else less everyone else left talking about this was scared of being targeted and taken down. There's people demonetized, there's people who lost their channels, there's people who were eviscerated and deleted, unpersoned there because they were even right. discussing the facts here. There was a really good tweet from the Libertarian Party. I think it may have been of New Hampshire, I'm not sure. They uh this account highlighted two tweets. One was from a leftist who said that Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist who was hunting down civil rights protesters, which right. is a lie. Wow. Right. And the other tweet said, based on the evidence in this trial, it's clear that Kyle was acting in self-defense. The self-defense tweet got suspended and the white supremacist tweet, massive retweets. Oh, there's this guy, Brooklyn Dad Defiant or whatever. Gosh. He's got something like a million, million followers. Just constantly railing on this, constantly telling people. Lie, 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 lie. lie. A million followers, verified. On Twitter. Look at Sean King, dude. Right. These people built careers off intentionally misleading. And this is, this has been the, the MO of the establishment for the past as, I mean, maybe, maybe for longer than we realize, but you get Russiagate. They accuse Trump of doing what they literally did. The, the, the Clintons and, and the Democrats had more ties to Russia and the, and, the, and this manipulation and lies than Trump ever did. And they put out fake news and the media helped them. Now you then you, you you get Sean King and there was that time he falsely accused that cop of abusing that woman or whatever. Oh, yeah. There's a video he put out where he claimed Proud Boys had gone out and done something that Proud Boys weren't even involved in. He just lies. He knows it. And many leftists have called him out. He's still got a million plus followers. He gets hired at these companies like The Intercept and The Daily News or whatever. He gets paid lots of money. Then you get Brooklyn Dad to find it. Turns out he's being paid by political operatives. That was a big expose. I could be wrong about that, but it's my understanding at the Mm. very least that he was being he was a paid political operative and even leftists criticized him for it. You have a massive propaganda machine pumping out lies, making money. They're grifters. What do they do? They know they have to accuse us to deflect. So they'll say, when we pull up video or we pull up news articles and, and challenge them and show you, you know, what's going on in the trial. The other day, we played the actual video from MSNBC and then the trial to disprove their lies. 
they'll claim we're the ones who are manipulating people. When Brian Stelter tells people, don't watch the propaganda, come to us. When I think it was Cuomo when he said, you can't legally, you're not legally allowed to read WikiLeaks, only we can. Anyone who tells you not to seek out information is manipulating you. Because I'll tell you this, watch CNN, see what they say, read the New York Times, see what they say, and then watch Crowder, watch David Pakman, watch the Young Turks and watch us. Try and get as much as you can, because then you'll see through the lies. What do they tell you? Don't listen to the grifters. They're manipulating you. Man, this is one reason why you got to be in good shape, guys, because you need stamina to withstand this constant barrage of lies, manipulation, disinformation. If you are weak, if you're physically weak, if you're mentally, emotionally, spiritually weak, you're just going to fall victim. You're just going to be led right off the cliff away from the truth and into ways that are going to end up harming you in the long run if you follow all the the mainstream narrative. Now, I agree with Tim on, on some points here, especially when it comes to seeing what the larger media landscape actually looks like. But remember, after watching the mainstream media, remember to squeegee clean your third eye <laughs> and uh, to try to decompress. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because it, 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 seriously, there's a lot of like trauma based mind control and a lot of psychological tricks and dirty tricks used by the mainstream media. It's absolutely just uh, when you when you watch it, it's like watching another reality. It's like watching another world. And, and, and truly, you have to be very careful with what they say because you have to fact check everything. And when usually when you do, even in things, even with basic things that you think are common, you're shocked and surprised by just simply trying to look at the evidence yourself, what they're saying and what the actual truth of the reality is. The difference is so stark that it's difficult to accept sometimes. Yeah. And you and you think to yourself, nah, that can't be possible. And they, you, and you yeah. doubt your own perception. They can't be lying that much. Right. And, be then, that and then when you think about what we're just witnessing in real time right now, and then you just think about all of written history. And then, you oh, just, yeah. then it's just like, oh, God. When we had, uh, we had still Steve Hilton on the other day. And when we were showing the video of the guy on MSNBC, I don't know his name. And he was like, Gage Grosskreutz testified that his hands were up when he was shot. And then I play, right. the, I play the video where the defense is like, it wasn't until you pointed the gun at Kyle Rittenhouse that he fired on you. And he goes, correct. He didn't believe it. He was like, no. Like, how could they just say that? And I'm like, the videos published after, after the testimony, the articles, even if, even if the article came out right before that testimony and they rushed it, they haven't corrected it. And he was just like, I can't believe they would outright and overtly lie like that. And I'm like, I can't. I try. I tried yeah. to tell somebody. You remember uh, the Portland shooting uh, where the Antifa guys uh, shot the uh, that Jay. I forget Jay Danielson. Yeah, Aaron Danielson. Aaron Danielson, and uh, nicknamed Jay, right? And yeah. I and there was a guy who filmed it live, who was just allegedly strolling along the street and he happened to pick up the entire thing on video, yeah. right? So I got in touch with the guy and I interviewed him and I went through it frame by frame by frame and asked him all the questions. And then I asked him why he was going to the protest. And he says, oh, my daughter got me into going to these things, Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I just want to support her. I'm like, oh, you're a family man. Yeah. You believe in family, right? You're a good dad. You like leading your family. You like having a whole intact family. Yeah. Well, did you know that Black Lives Matter is opposed to the nuclear family that wants to, quote, disrupt the norm around the nuclear family? He's like, nah. I'm like, hold on a second. I pulled it up. I showed it to him. He read it. and And his reaction was. Oh, that just must be a typo. <laughs> what? <laughs> that just must be a mistake. They, they did delete. They, they took it down. They did delete you know. it because it was so egregious and outrageous. But it is true. It's part of their platform. It's what they believe. And a guy, I put it right in front of him on the website, everything. And he still could not believe that he was supporting an organization that was a- against 
his whole raison d'etre it, it of being a dad and leading a family. drives me nuts when people say, I can't believe it when something happens, especially if you watch sports announcers. Oh, he caught the catch. I can't believe it. Like, dude, believe it. It happened. Stop telling yourself you can't believe what's right in front of you. I think one of the, one of the big problems that we're seeing now, especially with the right, is that they keep saying things like, why would someone want there to be no justice? You know, I, they're like, the, the people who are cheering for Kyle Rittenhouse to go to prison are cheering the destruction of our justice system. Why would you want that? And I'm just like, you'd think after this many years, you'd realize that communists who scream, long live the revolution. This guy, Gage Grosskreutz, testified he did hold I, up his I, fist. Are you, are you affiliated, though? Did you go to their things? Yes. No, did no, no, you, no. Did you speak at their he events? He said, are you a member? Are you a member? He said, no. No. But you've spoken at their events. Yes. yes. So you're affiliated? Yes. Did you chant the slogans? Yes. Did you raise your fist and say, long live the revolution? <laughs> yes. What people need to understand, and that's what I was trying to say to Steve the other day, when you assume that your political rival holds the same moral framework and worldview as you, you are wrong. You're making assumptions. When these people say, long live the revolution, and then you wonder why it is they're lying under oath. They do not respect our moral framework. They do not agree with our moral framework. They do not respect the authority of the court, and they believe they have a right by any means necessary to subvert and destroy the system. I was surprised when he actually admitted bicep guy. I don't like using their names. I call him the N-word guy and the bicep guy and skateboard <laughs> guy. Uh, he, I was actually surprised that he just straight up was like, yeah, he didn't point the gun at me until I pointed the gun at him. I, I well, he, he tried denying it at first. But he admitted it. He had to, though. That, that was what was so crazy about the testimony. The defense was like... Even so, I still was surprised. But check it out. The defense said to him first, you pointed your gun at Kyle Rittenhouse, and then he fired upon you. And Grosskreutz goes, no. And then he was like, he pulls the video up and he hands him a photo and goes, that's a photo. What is it of? And he's like, it's my bicep being vaporized. And he's like, and your gun is pointed at the defendant. He's like, yes. And that's when he shot you. Yes. So it was only after you advanced on the defendant, pointed your gun at him, that he fired on you. And he goes, yes. When you're showing a picture to the jury, what's the dude going to say? No. He tried that. He tried. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Yeah, True. I, this guy has no allegiance to the prosecutor. The prosecutor's already put himself in a position where he can't criminally charge him. So he's like, that's on you. I'm not going to make myself look worse and incriminate myself. And there you go. Dang. I don't understand, though. That's like what's called perjury. You just lied to the jury under oath. Yep. But but this is a mat. The, the issue is there's a big difference between like hard perjury and an interpretation. Of course. So when he's like, you know, it wasn't until you pointed the gun. He's like, no. And then, well, here's the video. Oh, yeah, I guess so. It's very different from them. And, and this dude lied a lot. It was funny when the prosecutor playing the video with Gage Grosskreutz holding his gun. And he goes, so at this point, you've pulled your gun as you're approaching Kyle Rittenhouse. And he goes, no. And the st- prosecutor's like, here's the video we just <laughs> played with a gun in your hand. And he goes, yes. <laughs> this dude is lying. The worst. But. Perjury almost never, my understanding is almost never gets prosecuted. And it's typically for like, were you at the bar at 2 a.m.? No, I was in Buffalo, New York. 
and then they find a picture of you there. You overtly lied about what mm-hmm. you were doing, and mm-hmm. then they might try. Did and you knowingly it. spy on the American people? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, right. no, not waiting. Yeah, yeah. That's James Clapper, by the way, <laughs> yeah. committing perjury. Yeah. That's right, and and everything, and and unfortunately, when him and Schiff and all of these these cronies went on TV and lied about RussiaGate, they weren't under oath. Ugh. When they were under oath in congressional testimony, they admitted, "I have no evidence. It's not true. It's all bunk." That's that's one of my favorite things, talking to Cash, him pointing all that oh stuff gosh, out. Yeah. Yep. I'm so glad that he was on the show. What a good dude. All right. Now, listen. We just gave respect to Anna Kasparian because she corrected the record on a mistake she made. And now I'm going to highlight Jenk Uger. Oh I'm not I'm not someone who, you know, I typically don't like talking about the Young Turks or other commentators. But this is actually a really important uh, um, cultural moment that we're getting not just from Jenk Uger, but from one of his followers that I think we absolutely need to address. Jenk Uger tweeted, So Joe Rogan's show has now become a boring right-wing show. No real diversity of opinion. It's just insane conspiracy theories and right-wing lies, like every other Alex Jones and Tucker Carlson-like show. And it's obvious he doesn't want to be challenged on his ideas anymore. The Democrats just lost miserably in a series of elections. In Virginia, notably due to critical race theory, suburban housewives, white suburban women voted for the Republican. Critical race theory plays poorly with, you know, working class individuals and suburbanites. We saw a state senator who spent only $153 win without campaigning against the incumbent Democrat who (laughs) refused to concede until today. He's like, okay, I accept that I lost because people just said, I'll take a ham sandwich if there's an R next to it. That's how much people are fed up with the Democrats, with wokeness, with all of this stuff we've been complaining about for a long time. If you look at basically every metric, you'll see that independent voters are leaning closer towards Republicans simply because Republicans are closer to them and Democrats are going further and further left. Pew Pew Research put out a political tribes chart. There is there is a group called the stressed sideline, which is the least politically active group, according to their survey center-right position. The individuals who consider themselves to be politically neutral are center-right. We would probably fall under what Pew Research refers to as the ambivalent right. They're not. It's a group of people who aren't conservative, but have voted Republican, who are actually fairly progressive on certain issues or, or economic issues, but are against the Democrats and wokeness and all that stuff. Back to what Cenk Uger is saying, and here's why I think this is so important to highlight. Not just because of his comment, but because of one of his followers' responses, who said, I'm also feeling that way about e-cigar and crystal ball with their breaking points show. I loved it when they impartially went after both sides of MSM, but now it's just one-sided attacks and conspiracy theories, no balance anymore. My response was, as Democrats begin to lose and moderates are shown to be closer politically to the right because the left has gone so far left, a breakdown among the left ensues. Jenk Uger's only responses, because he's built up his audience around chasing this fringe, unpopular ideology, is it's not me who's wrong. It's everyone else who just voted against us. And his follower says, that's right. Crystal Ball and Cigar, who are very like Crystal Ball's progressive. Yeah. No, 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 no. They're far right now because they're telling the truth. Yeah. They're breaking down. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we've been talking on this show for a long time. I've been talking about it, that the CRT in schools is going to be the biggest red pill delivery service that we've seen. And it clearly played out that way. You know, we've been talking about that. Red for like pill delivery the, service. About yes. for, for two years. I mean, when your daughter comes home from school and wonders if she's a racist because what they're talking about in class, you know, that's going to get mom bear activated. And I also just want to give some big shout outs to some friends of ours, Corey DeAngelis and Christopher Rufo. 
boy, James Lindsay, James Lindsay, of course. And, you know, but all of us here have been hammering all this stuff Seriously. for a long time. Uh, and, uh, dude, they, they had a huge hand in what happened in Virginia, you know, Absolutely. And, and, it, and it really shows and, and thank goodness, cause I love Virginia and I want it to be read. It really shows that what we need is a, it's a big network of people that aren't necessarily on the same campaigns and aren't necessarily getting paid by the same people and aren't necessarily totally aligned. But you need people, you need the academics to define it, you need the media people to set the stage, you need the campaign managers to follow the lead and follow the polls. And what happened in Virginia was amazing. I was in Orlando at the National Conservatism Conference the night that uh, Youngkin won, and Chris Rufo was sitting right next to me. And when they announced it, oh, man, <laughs> it was so exciting because that dude has been busting his ass. But how crazy is it? That here we are, you're Democrat to deplorable, being like, I want Virginia to be red, I know, and right? I'm at the conservatism conference. I know, I know, and it feels perfectly natural, and those people feel perfectly, I mean, I definitely did not agree with everything that I heard at the National Conservative Concert, however, sure. but they did feel more like, quote, my people, and who would just interpret a random event in a similar fashion it, than it these crazies like Chank. And dude, like I, I had gotten a media game later than you. So I have, n I have never seen this Chank Uger guy be reasonable or, or say anything smart or whatever. He's just been this buffoon. You should go just back to screaming and yelling like some sort of idiot. 2007, he was pretty hard on George Bush and the Iraq war. He was a shining beacon. Speaking out against well, it, it was very nice. He, he was criticizing a lot of very powerful forces, many multinational corporations. He got a contract on MSNBC. MSNBC tried to stifle him and shut him up, and he said no. <laughs> and he made it a huge issue. He actually stood up and got, gained a lot of respect from a lot of people. And then ever since then, I think he's just been going downhill and drinking some very strange, oddly smelling Kool-Aid and well, has gone off the deep end. Money and views start warping your mind, too, man. They do. This is what happened to... to all of these establishment forces, um, the Young Turks, they were big. They were leftist. You have CNN, who was supposedly the corporate, was like their corporate media for sure, but they were never hard left the way they became. What happened was, especially for the Young Turks, is that you go on Twitter and you look at your mentions and you get 30 replies and you're scrolling down and they're all saying you were wrong about X. People are easily manipulated by this, assuming that 30 angry people represent their entire base. So what happens is eventually the Young Turks and other you know, digital outlets start saying, wow, my followers think this is right or th think this is wrong. I don't want to lose followers. So they started adhering to a fringe minority. We've seen the polling data. It's been eight, between 8 and 10% of the country. If you want to abandon 90% of the country for 8% because there's a market share for you, good luck. What's happened now is the Young Turks, CNN, MSNBC, have you seen this? They're losing all their talent. Rachel Maddow's canceling her daily show. She's going to do a weekly show. And Brian Williams announced he's leaving mm. because their ratings are in the trash. They have almost no key demo. <laughs> but they're in the they, trash because of the her. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, here's what happens. If you lie for years, Russiagate, they dedicated themselves to being wrong. People are not the stupid clowns they treat them out to be. There are some stupid clowns, but average people are average and average people can see through lies. They understand that, that the square peg goes through the square hole. Yeah. So when they come out and they say Trump colluded with Russia, we know it for a fact. Clapper goes on her show and says, we've all seen the evidence. And then three years later, the report comes out. Trump didn't. Those people go, 
the hell was I just watching? Oops. And then what happened? Their ratings collapsed. Rachel Maddow is nearly in tears, but she can't give it up. Why? She lost moderates who are looking for real news. She retained the cult members. The Young Turks have done the same thing. Now Jen Uger's only option is to say Joe Rogan, who is moderate left-leaning and the most popular podcaster and probably the second most popular comedian is far a right-wing boring show. Jenk, Joe Rogan is like your average dude talking about like crazy things all the time. He's not a Tucker he's not Tucker Carlson. He's not a right-wing pundit. When I look at Joe Rogan, I'm like that should be your barometer for regular people. Right. The pulse of the nation. Look yeah. at, and and you look at his shows when he goes and performs People in New York show up for him. These are people in Democrat strongholds with showing vaccines, up. accepting the mandate. Absolutely, yeah. And and so when I you look at Joe Rogan and he is very likely representing regular Americans, but the Democrats have pulled. You, you, you look at this the Pew data that got released that went viral when it shows the Democrat shift versus the Republican shift. Do you remember this? Yeah. The Democrat center has now become far left. And the Republicans have moved like one point to the right. right. So Republicans are closer to where they've always been. What happens to a moderate or someone like a Joe Rogan? They look to their left and every day they lie, they cheat, they steal, and they get further left. And they look to their right and there's a Republican saying the same thing they always did. And they're like, the Republican says the 4th of July barbecue and Christmas are great. I like those things too. Yeah. They look to their left and they're like, you're white, you're racist, Christmas is racist, shut up. And they go, okay, that's nuts. Right, exactly. You know, th this is why if you're in journalism, if you're in media, it's really important just to be dedicated to the truth, right? Because then you just ask questions and then you can be wrong because you were never like, I, this is what I believe. You just, you're just asking questions. I'm just a guy with a microphone. I'm just pulling on a thread. I mean, that's my whole shtick. I don't know really the answers to anything. I'm just asking questions, trying to figure it out and go where the answers take you. But that takes, that takes being able to withstand your audience being mad at you. Right. And cause if you just respond to your audience being mad at you, like, uh, you know, I catch a lot of crap for being anti-Trump. I catch a lot of crap for a lot of things, but it's, it's those moments where you need to have some fortitude because that's when you're staying true to just the pursuit of truth. And that's why guys like Mike Sarnovich gets so much crap from people right. mm -hmm. because he's just trying, he's just pursuing the truth, his version of the truth, whatever. He's just asking questions and he's trying to come to his own understanding. It's when mad out, dude. <sighs> I said on November 7th. Donald Trump lost. Get over it. Yeah. You need to move on. <laughs> yeah. And all the hardcore Trump supporters were like, you know, screw Tim Pool. They were mad at me. Yeah. But still, the left claims I pushed the narrative of election fraud, which I never did. Right. In fact, Steve Bannon came on this show and I, I argued with him about it, saying, mm -hmm. I think, you know, you guys are focused on the wrong thing. You got to focus on Democrats ground game and how they did voting in the park and how they did universal mail in voting, because that is the edge that got them the win. The left will still lie about me. So here, here's one of the challenges. Um, and I'll use the example of the Rittenhouse case. One of the challenges with believing in America, the judge, his ringtone was proud yeah. to be an American. Yes. What does that mean? That's it means not, he'll be biased for the left. I was going to say it's not good. Yeah. It means he's biased for the left. For the left. For the left. Why do you say that? Because he truly believes in the justice system. He's mm. going to allow prosecutorial misconduct because he wants there to be a jury trial because the jury trial is the American thing to do. Mm. So as the left, the prosecutor lies, cheats, and steals, he'll say it is the American value to give an equal opportunity to everyone. You have people who raise their fists and say, long live the revolution. Their explicit goal is to destroy this nation. And you are welcoming them to the fray and giving them an opportunity. I thought about this. And this is what you'll get. 
a, a leftist revolutionary sect and democratic establishment authoritarians who will cheat and use your good faith to continue doing it. Definitely. So my thought was kind of, we should only extend the values of our justice system to those who uphold it equally for us as well. If we believe <laughs> in the Bill of Rights and the Fifth Amendment, Second Amendment, why would we give people an opportunity to take those rights from us? Mm. What I mean to say is, if we believe in the right to remain silent in a fair trial, and someone walks in and says, I will not give you that same benefit, but I demand it of you, we should respond with no. Either we all agree these are the rules, or we won't apply them to you if you don't want them. To simplify it even further, if you don't believe in free speech, why would I defend your right to free speech? You don't believe in it. I'll give you the respect you've asked for. That's a tough one, man. The issue is... I mean, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But like the right to... Yeah, that's tough. So, Pe- but those are the most egregious circumstances that free speech has to be supported. Yep. It's even for people that don't believe in it. Right, even for people that are acting insane, for people that are doing the dumbest, craziest things that you could possibly think of, then that's why guys like Mark Randaza are amazing because they they go out there and defend those kind of people. I agree, but there's a line. Yeah. So I I, there there have a few been a few pundits who have pointed out that one of the problems with conservatives and the more libertarian minded people on free speech is that they're unwilling to accept any limitations on speech in pursuit of free speech, which is the wrong thing to do. Well, we need to recognize that there are certain limits culturally that we're not willing to accept and then call out the left for violating these same limits and not respecting the free speech that they demand. To, to put it simply, there's that paradox of intolerance where they say if you tolerate intolerance, then the intolerant win. And that's not necessarily untrue. Right. We all need to agree on the rules and then operate within those rules. If someone seeks to destroy our rights and attack our way of life, we should not you know, uh, give them, you know, equal opportunity. We should not open the door for them, to put it simply. To wrap this all up, my point is, the judge in the Rittenhouse case knows they're breaking the rules, has yelled at the prosecutors, but is still, as someone who believes in America, in America and is proud, will uphold these systems which benefit those who lie, cheat, and steal and are seeking to destroy the very system that is protecting them. It is a paradox. It just means that we can't be absolute in our defense of uh, um, egregious actors. We certainly will protect their free speech and act in good faith. But when it becomes apparent that they're trying to destroy the system, we say, okay, we can't tolerate your attempt to destroy free speech. Do you, so that logic, do the 9-11 suicide bombers, do they deserve a free, like a fair trial? Absolutely. Okay. So uh, it, it, I think what I mean to say is, uh, and I think, you know, Ian helped uh, my understanding of this. He had some good questions about the ethics of vaccine lockdown, of, of, of mandates and lockdowns when you brought up Ebola and what people's rights are. There's a point where if there was an airborne Ebola, everyone in this room would be like, lock it all down, okay. right? Like an 80% mortality of people coughing and their insides are liquefying and you're watching it happen. We'd all be like, lock it. We'd be freaking out. Yes. Yeah. But to varying degrees. So then, you know, I started to think that for the most part, it's really about how much risk you're, how much you're willing to tolerate in terms of sacrificing freedoms, because everybody's willing to give up something if it, if something is, you know, give up some of their freedoms if it's egregious enough. I think for the most part, we just happen to be people who watch the show and us substantially more libertarian than they are. So they're more, more likely uh, to take away people's rights. We won't, we won't tolerate that. But a really good point that was made that I think helps, will help people understand this is that, Someone said to Tucker Carlson, you would not allow someone to come on your show and make racist comments. And Tucker said, you are correct. He's like, right. We agree. There are limits on acceptable speech. It's a good point. 
the legal limits should not be banning hate speech, but the culturally acceptable limits exist. In which case, we need to enforce culturally our ideals and tell people who would say revolution, nothing less by any means, any means necessary, that we will not accept that that culture. Since we're opening this can of worms, let's talk about this for just for just one quick second. I knew I know a guy, and uh, his he's separated from his wife, and his kids are in Israel, and his daughter's bat mitzvah is coming up. And it looks like that the judge is going to actually order the kids to stay in Israel. And so he, and in Israel, you can't enter the country unless you have a vaccine. Mm. So what does that guy do? The choice is, and he's just mega opposed to the vaccine. Uh, his grandparents were, you know, captured by the Nazis. Like he has a history with this forced medical procedures, etc. He was faced with get the vaccine and see his kids. Or don't get the vaccine and maybe never see his kids again. That is a extremely difficult situation to be put in if you believe very, uh, if you're very adamantly opposed to the vaccines and the mandates. And I don't think any of us would argue here that this guy should never see his kids again. Right. So what that clearly lays out for us is that there is, it is a personal decision about this and it's a spectrum. And so I don't fault the guy for getting the vaccine to go see his kids. It broke his heart. Like it tore him up because he didn't want to do it because he was opposed to it and he hated it. But they put him in a situation where it was like, see the kids or get, don't, don't get the vaccine. Can't but see that's, the kids. that's how they win. And yeah. that's, this is the big, this is the big challenge. The logic of it is simple. Go for someone's children and you will have a slave. Mm. They, they win. Yeah. As long as people, but there's no escaping it. There's that guy. There's, there's and, multiple and, options. There's multiple ways of trying to go through the system, uh, with the system not looking. There's, I, I'm not advocating for any illegal activities, but if there's a will, there's a way. Compliance isn't the easiest way. It's going to be the the easiest way for the moment, but in the long term, it's going to be the most difficult way for everyone else, including that person who you know compromised his morals to comply with the state. So there's many different ways around a different Compr issue. Compromise one element of his morals to honor the rest of his morals. Mm, I don't. I, again, I, I don't agree with that kind of argument. There's many different avenues that people could walk down that doesn't include compliance that could still. Uh, allow him to see his children in, in many different ways and many different avenues. And I think you should, ex you, you should explore all of those options until there's not an option possible. Flying to what, like fake vaccine cards and things like this. <laughs> Again, I'm not here to advocate any of that. Uh, yeah. I think advocating that is even a felony no, under the FBI. I mean, there's, uh, there's human rules. rights legal proceedings. He yeah. could get a lawyer. He could file lawsuits. He could say, I will not. You know, the government can't mandate a medical procedure and take my kids from me. Meet, it, meet in another country, uh, have a mediator come in and say, hey, okay, let's go meet in Egypt or let's go meet in Turkey. Let's go meet somewhere nearby and establish that we're going to be doing this in some sort of way that doesn't that, infringe that, on my values. That and assumes that he has a cooperative ex-wife. Yeah. Okay, but, but you yep. know, there's, there's, you know, but there's that, a will, there's but, a way. But hold on. You bring up an ex-wife. Now we're talking about two civil parties and a government entity. So it's, yeah. it's much different from an individual versus the government when there's a civil case between two individuals. Sure. My point is, is that it, there's a spectrum and it's hard and there's a decision to be made at some point. And the fact that the decision exists is a symptom of the problem. Uh, not a contributor to the problem. Well, it's actually there, there. There is something more simple. If everyone said no, there wouldn't be a problem. The problem is that people bend the knee. 
And that's, that's right. it. As if, soon as if you're the one, if you're the one percent left resisting, you you've got no one with you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I've always been the kind of person that says I would rather live in a van down by the river than compromise. And 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 you yeah. know, the only way this is ever going to end if is if people stop complying. You cannot comply your way out of tyranny. I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's impossible. It's impossible because they're going to keep pushing. You, it. They're going to keep you asking see the for NBA? more and more. The NBA yep. is mandated boosters. Oh, yeah. The NBA has told all players, coaches, and referees that you have to have a booster shot if you got the Johnson and Johnson after two months, and any and the Pfizer and Moderna after six months. Obviously, this was coming. We knew this was going to happen, and now the CDC has already said weeks ago they may change the definition of fully vaccinated. Of course, they're going to. So it's only going to get worse. And you look at the inflation. You look at the food shortages. You look at the price of a turkey this year. It's insane. Doubled. People, uh, doubled. Yeah. Doubled. They, they're calling it meatflation mm. that's happening right now. Not just Bacon's shrinkflation. up 20%. Yep. So the people who said, I got I, I got to prioritize feeding my kid, congratulations. By complying, you have taken the food out of their mouths. Yep. Short-term gains for long-term sacrifices. Sacrificing the future of your children because it's easier now. You, look, you take a look at the, at the long, hard road, and way off in the distance, you see paradise and you take a look at the short trip over the bridge and the bridge collapse and you end up getting washed away. Sometimes you, people got to realize that life is not easy. Life is not fair. and It takes hard work and you have, to, you have to face the challenges head on because when you take the easy route, you make everything worse. I not mean, always, but often. Predominantly, especially. It's never easy. It's never an easy. It's, it, when, whenever you do something cheap. Uh, I think that's the way of, of describing this. It's going to come back and haunt you. And when more and more people comply, I mean, people complied in Israel. They just said, we'll do anything. We'll go along with the vaccine passports. We'll get vaccinated. Everything will be fine. The government said, well, 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 no. Now you need a booster shot. Now you need a third shot. Now they're even talking about a fourth shot. So with him complying and saying, yes, I'll, I'll go by yeah, your rules. I'll go by the fourth four, shot. Four, fourth shot's already official yeah. uh, for immunocompromised. So they're the, the next but not degree. mandated a part of the official passport system, which they will be implementing very soon. And then the fifth shot, and then w- then we're talking about what uh, hepatitis shots or University of Denver or, has already yeah. mandated flu shots. Yeah, compliance my, uh, tests. My, my my favorite was the Yahoo News story said NBA recommends boosters for all you know uh, referees and everything. And then later on, it said, if you don't do it, you'll be subject to all the same restrictions, blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's a mandate. There was a really cool guy from the NBA uh, at the National Conservative oh, Conservatism cool. Conference, as a matter of fact, Isaac Judah, uh, Orlando Magic, sixth round or sixth pick overall. This is like big time player, right? Uh, and he came and sp- sat on stage with Dave Rubin. Whoa. Yeah, dude. NBA, six foot 11. Look, 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 look. Isaac Judah. Oh, See, yeah, yeah. Seeing people like Kyrie Irving, Aaron Rodgers, people who are willing to speak out and mm-hmm. stand up for what they believe in, this is fantastic. Now, I, Aaron Rodgers apparently lied about his you know immunization or whatever, and I he should have spoken up and just been true and honest from the get go. But I think when we start seeing celebrities and athletes speak out in defense of individual liberties, individual rights, that's a good thing. It's an amazing thing, and we need to encourage more of it. It was amazing to see him at the conference, and I'll admit, I thought that the crowd was just a little too excited, the fact that there was, like, an African-American guy there. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But that's really? every conservative oh. conference <laughs> these days. That's They're like, you. there's a black guy, and he <laughs> agrees with us on some things. Yes, we're not racist. 
I mean, that's, you know, that's the vibe, right? Uh, but that guy I've not been to a conference like that. That guy was super well spoken, very intelligent, and, uh, made his case very articulately. Yeah. Well, about the media. His, uh, his, uh, uh, natural immunity, et cetera. Well, the media attacked him viciously because he was going I, along I and, and he made, did a whole press conference where he addressed this entire matter and brought up points very eloquently and was talking about all the scientific issues that actually mattered that, that I would, everyone was like, I wish this guy was Dr. Fauci because he explained scientific yeah. terms in such an easy, simple way that, that made a lot of people understand his position. And they stopped attacking him because of the way that he, he approached this situation without getting angry, without attacking, without yelling, without freaking out and just said, okay, here, let me just explain myself calmly, rationally. And because of that, they stopped attacking him. He's still playing. Um, and, something, something and, yeah. we've brought up a lot. There are a lot of celebrities that watch his show. They message me. Definitely. There's a lot of pro- uh, famous athletes, actors, musicians. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, they always say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I won't speak up. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, you're who needs to speak up. You got two million followers. Right. Make a post. Look at look at Demi Lovato. She's, she, she became an ambassador for Gaia. And now they're attacking her, saying she's like, it's a conspiracy website. And it's like, it's a yoga and like yeah. holistic health like forum or something. They're just... Anyone that tries to deviate from the control of the corporate establishment is smeared. Anybody. Here's a question for you. I don't know the answer. Did George Washington pay the stamp tax? I don't know. No idea. If the answer is yes, then all this stuff, we can just throw this whole argument in the trash. Because he complied? Because he complied. Mm. Because he waited until the right moment to make his move. Anybody out there? Did George Washington pay the stamp tax? Did Sam Adams pay the tea tax? Did they pay the tax on the tea before the tea party? Let's get this answer because that could put this question to bed. Yeah, but well, Jack, you're not making any moves. What do you mean? Well, the argument is like you just got to comply, comply, and then and then go against. 1965, right? dude, or 1765, right? Give me nine years. Let's see. Nine years. <laughs> I don't. The, the, or eleven, actually. You know, the big differences though is that communicating took months. So if you it took were, eleven years. Well, if you were a rep in Virginia communicating with New York about revolutionary ideas, sure, it took a couple I mean, weeks to send a letter. Sure, but but so the actual conversation could be months sure. unless you came down for a special meeting in Philadelphia or something. I would love to know if any of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, Hamilton, if any of those guys paid the stamp tax at any point in their life, because if they did. Let's talk about it. Why don't we just Google it? You're I just, just tried. It didn't come uh, up. Jack, you're just trying to justify compliance. I haven't, not, I haven't, it's not going to work. I haven't <laughs> taken the vaccine. My kids haven't taken the vaccine. I don't know why everybody's giving me a effing hard time about well, having a conversation for people in America that are struggling with this issue. Well, I am not vaccinated. Well, Everybody. Well, well, Jack, I appreciate the conversation. I think it's an important one. I'm happy we were able to have, uh, to have That's one. That's why I wasn't here last week, two weeks ago, when I got the call that Cass Castle was under, you know, attack by the coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going because I don't have the vaccine. Yeah. Well, to be fair, we didn't know for sure at the time. I we, know, we but actually, Lydia was like, everybody's sick, dude. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we, and, and here's one of the problems with the testing mandate is we had four tests be negative. Right. And so we were like, tests cleared us. We're good. It's probably a cold. And then it turns out, you know. Yeah. So, you know, this a, a cursory glance at uh, the Stamp Act just mentions that the, the, the colonists viewed it as a violation of their rights. Uh, they protested it. But as to whether or not they were paying it. Good question. I, I, so I, you're I, saying I that assume. with the Boston Tea Party, they should have, uh, you know complied and not done anything what i'm what i'm what i'm saying is that what you're saying what Jack? i'm saying is that there's a matrix to make decisions as to whether this action is going to have the desired outcome 
or if it's only going to be deleterious to yourself or harmful to yourself. Uh, there's a lot to consider. And not everybody, even the most venerated people in our history, the people you would call patriots, the people that founded this country, I bet you they didn't resist every single moment of tyranny before they finally had had enough. And and actually, like the things that they revolted over in some cases pale in comparison to the things that we're dealing with now. Yeah. But the point is, is I think that there is a, a matrix by which you can make these decisions that's probably different for each person. And a, it's just an interesting historical question. I have an answer for you. What? Uh, Benjamin Franklin actually suggested the appointment of John Hughes as the agent for Pennsylvania to implement the, the, the stamp, uh, to be a, a stamp distributor, not aware of the turmoil that the tax would create right. between American and British relations. To simplify, when the, when the, when the, when the act was implemented, people had to actually engage with it before they understood it was bad and then reject right. it. So it seems like what happened was the government said, we're implementing this. A bunch of political leaders were like, okay, and then they, they started talking about it. And then over time, because communication was slower back then, people started protesting in the streets for like five years. There were protests over this. So once people were impacted by it, understood the ramifications, they started rejecting it. But did they have, did they pay the stamp tax in the meantime while they were, uh, while they were protesting? I it? think, I think the fair, during the protests, probably not. Probably what happened was, and again, this is speculation. I know, totally. We should get a historian but, but, on here talking yeah, about But what I can say is initially they did pay it. And what likely happened is they gradually began not paying it as right. the protests expanded. Right. So as opposition grew, people said, I won't comply. But that is to say, that means people who want the vaccines and believe in the mandates, of course, will comply. Yeah. But that also means that people who protest and oppose it would not comply. Yeah. Interesting historical question. I'd yeah. love to dig deeper on that. Yeah, I you know what I want right. to dig deeper on? I want to talk about Alec Baldwin. There oh, yeah, we go. Let's it. do it. Kapow. Yeah. So, uh, we um, love subtle transitions. <laughs> I, I, well, so, I mean, look, we're talking about trials. We're talking about Rittenhouse. We're talking about, there's a bunch of trials, actually. The Armored Arbery case is going on. Mm-hmm. We have more information on the Alec Baldwin, uh, a case, a Rust crew member. This is, this is the movie. Rust is the name of the film where Alec Baldwin shot and killed that woman. He is suing Alec Baldwin and the set armorer for severe emotional distress over shooting. The Independent is reporting. Fatal scene did not require Baldwin to pull trigger lawsuit claims. It's a claim of a lawsuit if somebody's trying to make money. So I don't know that it's true. A lot of people are saying, why would an electrician have, you know, key details in that regard? The independent reports, a rust crew member who held the dying Helena Hutchins in his arms has sued Alec Baldwin, armorer Hannah Gutierrez Reed, and assistant director Dave Halls for severe emotional distress over the shooting. Head electrician Sergei Svetnoy alleges in the lawsuit that the scene in which Miss Hutchins was killed did not call for Mr. Baldwin to fire the weapon, which she had been told was cold. Mr. Baldwin is sued in both his capacity as an actor and a producer of the Western movie, which has been shut down as investigations into the death continues. Mr. Svetnoy claims in the court papers that the bullet that killed Mrs. Hutchins also struck director Joel Souza, almost hit him as well, according to TMZ. He states that he is suing Mr. Baldwin because the star owed a duty to the plaintiff and other crew members and actors on the Rust set to handle the Colt revolver provided to him by defendant Halls with reasonable care and diligence for the safety of the Rust cast and crew. They're going to say, quote, this duty called for defendant Baldwin to double check the Colt revolver with Halls upon being handled to ensure it did not contain live ammunition court papers state. The lawsuit also claims the fatal scene did not require Baldwin to pull the gun's trigger with the script instructing him to draw the weapon and point it in the general direction of the camera. But, quote, the scene did not call for the defendant Baldwin to shoot the Colt revolver. My understanding 
is that the Colt revolver, especially a piece from this era, would be single action, not double action. Someone commented on this yesterday, which means, and I actually, I have a single action. You have to actually pull the hammer back before it can be fired. The question then emerges, if we're assuming this lawsuit is correct, this election is, the, the electrician's claims as a witness and someone involved in the crew is right, maybe he's disgruntled. Maybe he was a disgruntled crew member. Maybe he's lying. I don't know. The first question we have to ask is, why did Alec Baldwin pull the hammer back on the gun, point it at an individual? Why weren't there safety protocols in place? Why did he pull the trigger? I think, as I stated yesterday, it, it, we didn't do a full segment on this, which is why I wanted to, you know, this story came out four hours ago, and I thought it was important to bring up. We've been giving him the benefit of the doubt the whole time for no reason. Mm. I'm not saying I know what happened. I'm saying the media has protected Alec Baldwin and framed this whole story so that from the get-go, we assumed it was an accident. They first said it was a blank. They said it was a misfire, which is the wrong terminology. They said shrapnel hit the, the producer, uh, the, the cinematographer, killing her. We know all of that's not true now. And this is witness testimony. Granted, this guy's suing, but it's still someone who was on the crew who's making a statement and saying this is what happened and what was supposed to happen. In which case, the facts we have to start. Alec Baldwin drew a gun, pulled the hammer back, pointed it at the cinematographer, at the camera with the cinematographer standing there, fired the gun with a live bullet in it. In order to assume that was an accident, we'd have to make a, a ton of assumptions He was mad. He had motive. Sounds like it, right? So no. that's, those, those are also more assumptions. However, in the absence of evidence, the, the, the solution that makes the least amount of, of least amount of assumptions tends to be the correct one. Not that we know definitively. Not that we can say for sure. But I'm just pointing out it is logically absurd to begin the the the, uh, the story as if we believe it was a mistake. Well, what's very clear is that Alec Baldwin has a very skilled team of PR people mm. that has oh, been yeah. rolling yeah. this out bit by bit, manipulating the narrative, seeding things in our mind, much the way a uh, you know interrogator will get you to say yes and lead you places, plant things out there. Uh, very uh, concerted effort, which, you know, even if it were an accident, they would do the same thing, right? If it was it's a, to- brilliant. a total accident, he would definitely hire a crisis management team. They would yep. definitely be doing everything that they're doing. Uh, but to the, the way that things are coming out bit by bit by bit now, <clears throat> and when you really put it like that, you know, he pulls back, pulls back the action, points it at the guy, pulls, shoots. Why? So, so here, and here's, doesn't he have a history of like going off on people? Back yeah, they were yes. yeah. stuff. And attacking. Remember, he just attacked a guy in New York over yeah. a parking space. The armor. I think she was claiming that uh, she was afraid that people were afraid of Alec on set. Basically, like if they were like, "Hey, it's too dangerous. You can't do that." That Alec would flip Did, his lid and fire the person. Didn't on the spot. he leave some nasty voicemail for his yes. own daughter his own or daughter. something, yeah. calling her the worst names in the world and being an absolute just monster? Yeah, he's trash, dude. Do you remember? Uh, did you see the he video of trash, him and his wife? Me, they got out of the so car. Good. They were getting chased by like paparazzi. They got out of the car to talk to him. It was like last week. There's video of it, and he's like, "She was my friend." And then he realized, like, I didn't say it with enough emotion. I got to repeat myself. She was my friend. Like, he's such an actor. Like, yeah, most actors let me, go crazy. Let me, let, let, we got this from you today. Alec Baldwin sues man who accused actor of punching him over a parking spot in New York. He sues the guy. So, so, so everyone thought that Tim was crazy when Tim came up with this idea that it's possible this wasn't an accident, right? But, but it's, not, like, it's, it's not even me coming up with an idea. It's me saying, why are you making assumptions that this was an accident? I know. We all know that Alec Baldwin is a huge jerk, and he always has been. So there's no reason to assume 
that this was an accident. There's no reason to assume that there's no right. What what grace no has he built up? What benefit of the doubt has he built up? He is he is the equivalent of the N word guy at the gas station at this point, dude. From the beginning, <laughs> everyone was like, "We have to be nice to Alec Baldwin. This must be very hard for him." I was like, "Do you think for one single second that if this were to happen to someone, for example, like James Woods, that he would be oh, compassionate right? and graceful? He would be on Twitter before the body was cold, complaining about." Gun laws. He would be talking about this. He went trick or treating afterwards uh, and was taking, you know, selfies and photos of dressed up as in a costume. Mm -hmm. I pulled up uh, the video of the parking lot incident and it shows Alec. He like shoves the guy in the shoulder. So he says it disproves the claim that, you know, he punched him. This is going back to 2018. I think it's still it's it's still an important point to make that Alec Baldwin is a hothead. Yes. Like Ian was pointing out, people were were scared of him on, on the set. Right. People had complained about what was going on. And. I think we could even ignore all of that and just take some basic facts. A woman died. How did she die? She was shot. We'll just, we're going we're gonna to walk backwards. She was yeah. shot. Yep. How did she get shot? An individual fired a gun at her. Yep. The individual was armed with what I believe was a single action revolver, likely forty-five caliber because it's, it's, it's a Western. He pointed the gun at her, pulled the hammer back, pulled the trigger. Okay. Why did he do it? Well, according to one witness, the scene did not call for him to actually pull the hammer back and pull the trigger, but he did anyway. Yeah. So then why would he have pulled the, tr- you know, pull the trigger? Well, then we start getting into the crew disputes, the hot headedness of the character. I don't understand why it's logical in any capacity to say he accidentally pulled a live firearm with a bullet, pulled the hammer back and shot a woman and be like, but let's figure out how many, how, how we can justify it as an accident. No, you made a good point about crisis management. Mm. This dude's very wealthy. Very likely, his PR firm immediately, as soon as it happened, started saying, we need stories saying this. They probably seeded false information. It was a misfire. It was a blank. Why? To create the narrative of an accident first. And we walked into that. The first thing we said was it was an accident. Then we learned there was a live bullet. We said, wow, how did that happen? That's a crazy accident. And then then I stopped and thought thought to myself, so I have to assume a woman, an armorer who's trained with firearms, accidentally loaded a live round, gave it to an assistant director who didn't check it, but claimed it was cold, gave it to Alec Baldwin, who wasn't supposed to pull the trigger, who then pulls the trigger. And all of that is true for me to continue the accident narrative. OK, I dude, I don't like Alec Baldwin, even though he's just a tremendous actor, which just bothers me. Him <laughs> and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is like one of the most powerful scenes in film. Oh, man, it's a good movie. So good. Uh but the alternative, I'm just playing devil's advocate, all you a-holes out there that are going to say that I'm Alec Baldwin. <laughs> they love you in the comment section, by the way. No, they hate me in the comment section. And there's like, there's bots in there running on me. Quit, quit reading the comments. I love the comment section. The comments. I love you guys. You guys are incredible. I'm all, the alternative is, is what? That Alec Baldwin. He came up with a way to murder this woman. No, 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 no. That's too many assumptions. It's simple. Hot-headed Alec Baldwin shot a woman. That's it. So I think someone put the bullet in the gun. Sabotage the set. It's just an assumption. But it's like, if I have to make one, it's going to be that one. They've they've made that accusation. I don't have to make one. Crew members have argued it was intentional sabotage on Alec Baldwin's part. However, if I'm going to make the least amount of assumptions, it's... Alec Baldwin shot and killed a woman. Well, for sure, that's truth. That's not that's, even an assumption. That's, right. That's a fact. Alec Baldwin pulled motive. back the hammer, pointed the gun, motive, and pulled the trigger. Motive is, this is a guy who's known to be a hothead, who, who, who screamed at his own daughter, who shoved a guy over a parking space. 
I'm not trying to argue that he's a rage-filled monster, but that he has a hot, he has a temper. So if we're going to look at how this woman died, do I assume the armorer who's trained in firearms accidentally loaded a live bullet, then gave it to a second person who claimed to have checked it but didn't, who gave it to Alec Baldwin, who is trained for decades with firearms, who didn't check it? Or do I say there was a producer dispute with the crew over the conditions on the set? And then the guy who's running one of the producers shoots a woman. Mm-hmm. Why would we? So, so there's look. a lot of things that are very difficult to believe in each of these scenarios. They're all incredible. Like, wow. How, how are any of they're these? They're doing impossible? live target practice on the set. They're probably no, getting no, no, hammered no, no, no. the night before coming in all wasted. The, this, the sabota- girl doesn't even know what she's doing, the armor. This, the, but why would you assume that? She said she's 24. She was like, so I'm not what? comfortable in this job. I'm doing two jobs. She was doing two jobs at once on the set. I but it's like you can't say it to Alec because he'll fire you on the spot. I think it's crazy to be to, to assume that the one person who was not treating the gun properly was the one person whose job it is to treat the gun properly. You know what I mean? Right. The armorer is the expert on set. Why would yeah. I assume she made the mistake and kill and, and resulted in a person dying instead of Alec Baldwin who pulled the trigger? They all so made a so you think you think that she handed uh, over a gun that had a blank in it and Alec Baldwin inserted a live round in between receiving the handgun and discharging it? If we're going to start with all of the facts laid in front of us, it is, in my opinion, slightly more probable that Alec Baldwin loaded the gun no. and shot. Than, than some begruntled crew member that walked off? So the crew member... Is there a chain of, of, of possession? The armorer, Hannah Gutierrez. Do they have to sign for it and stuff? I don't know. Yeah, I wonder. Imagine, right? So I'm not saying it's, a, it's, it's likely. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying, why would I assume the armorer made a mistake... The assistant director failed to check it, and then Alec Baldwin, for no reason, pulled the trigger at a woman. And then right. add to it, very clearly, a skilled PR team is seeding stories, manipulating the media, getting We don't know there. that for sure. It's a big assumption. I think it's likely and fair to say. My point is, I don't Man, know. Tim's so objective, it's annoying sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I'm just saying that looking at it from like a mathematical equation, you have this massive tree of like an of, of an algorithm, like a flow chart of all of the things that had to happen for this insane accident to occur. And then over here, you have angry crew, Alec Baldwin hothead shot a woman mm. like it's three steps. Yeah. It's a guy said, I'm angry with the crew and then shot a woman versus accident, 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 sabotage, conspiracy, angry crew. And it's, I just. Right. And we're maybe, fa- we're maybe. falling into the trap of trying to apply rational thinking to irrational people doing irrational things and hot headed people who yeah. have yeah. a temper who act out sometimes. And we still don't know. It, it, uh, I think we have to wait until the police investigation comes out uh, <laughs> if they're going to even investigate it properly, the, the, if a lot of the investigation wasn't compromised by a lot of his money. The DA said that they know who put the bullet in the gun. Oh, wow. So maybe, look. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'm just saying, I feel like a crisis management team likely was involved in seeding stories that were clearly false to create the accident narrative first and then prejudice individuals who read on. But now you have a guy who has, in a sworn statement, a, a deposition lawsuit, in his deposition in a lawsuit saying, the scene did not call for him to fire the gun. That is That's big. That is big. That's mm-hmm. huge. As soon as I saw that, I was like, this changes a lot. And there's a little bit of motive. Yeah. Right? There was disputes. There was yeah. kind of contested and such. People were quitting. They were walking off set. Yeah. So imagine you've got hothead Alec Baldwin trying to run a movie where 
he's a hothead. People like you know Ian mentioned people were scared they would get fired. Hannah Gutierrez, I guess, had said that. Is that what you were saying? Uh, that's what I interpolated from the article I was reading. But remember too, remember we were talking about this before the show. It is known in the actor community that even a blank can kill somebody. What, yeah, what's yeah. That? that was is the that, cat. Oh, it was the cat. Focus. Is that going to get in here? Yeah, I guess so. He we, made it up the stairs. Don't let him in. Don't let him in. Don't let him in. Yeah, my nose is always itching when I'm in here. Yeah. Uh, the, we, it's known in the actor community, and Alec was an actor then. Uh, uh, a young actor put a blank to his head and killed himself by accident, thinking it was a blank and that it wasn't going to kill him. So it's known in Hollywood that blanks can be lethal. That's John Eric Hexum. Hexum. And yeah. and again, Alec Baldwin has decades of action movie right. experience. Right. There was already a witness who testified that they worked with Alec Baldwin, and he knows not only standard gun protocol safety, but on-set gun safety. And he violated—so Alec Baldwin, for this accident to have occurred, slipped his mind standard gun safety, slipped his mind standard protocol— Pulled the trigger on a gun that in a scene that didn't call for it. Was handed a gun by a guy who claims to have checked it but didn't. By a woman who accidentally put a live bullet in it and didn't check. That's insane to assume. They, they were apparently doing live target practice right. on downtime on set. And then they're like, no, no. People are denying that they were doing it at all. But they're like, dude, there's live ammo all over the set. They were going out and shooting at cans between takes. Yeesh. I don't know. We'll see. I have a feeling nothing bad's going to happen to. Uh, did, I wonder if all he, of did the he chain. say anything. The shooter's got to get charged. The production team has got to get charged. Look, the look. armor and the assistant director all need to be charged in this. I was reading legal analysis <laughs> over basic questions, and it seems like based on the facts we have that have been released, whatever the claims are, involuntary manslaughter is set. The fact that. It is standard safety protocol not to point a weapon at someone and pull the trigger. The fact that he didn't check when he had the opportunity to do so means someone died at his hand. It was an accident, but he's responsible. Involuntary manslaughter. I'm waiting for all the articles to come out to say Alec Baldwin is a white supremacist who's obviously leaning on his white privilege for having <laughs> killed this person who was a woman who was probably a person. She was a woman, so she was definitely a person of color. Well, no, she was Ukrainian. She was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, as, as we know, the Coalition for Communities of Color have said Slavic people are people of color. That's Indeed. right. So Alec Baldwin killed a colored person. Yeah, there you go. Person of color. That's sorry. That's oh, you can't say colored person. Right. No, no, no. My bad. It is person of color. Sorry, all right, all right. Let's do super chats. If you haven't already, smash the like button, super subscribe chats. to this channel, share the show with your friends, and go to TimCast.com. Become a member. We're going to have a members-only segment coming up later tonight. But let's read what y'all have to say in the super chats. Kevin Robson says, don't get brazen with me. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Someone took the meme. You know the 4chan meme where it's like, if only you knew how, how bad things really are? They took that and changed bad to brazen and put it over the judge and it said, if only you knew how brazen things really are. I thought that was really good. Yeah. A lot of people are making uh, uh, snarky comments about uh, what happened in Kenosha, which I can't read. But. Tucker Carlson had a really snarky one that's going viral Ooh, so right good. now. Um, what is it? If... You can't read it? I, yeah. I don't <laughs> know. It's spicy. Uh, I'll read it after. It, it hits hard. It's so good. <laughs> it's amazing. All right. Well, maybe maybe in the bonus after, in the after show. Oh my gosh. All right. Mick G says, Hey, Tim, can you give more insight on the fact checker nonprofit? What's needed for the position? I deal with language and social media. Will you have a meet and greet in Austin? I'm just down the road. Uh, we didn't really plan to do an event in Austin, but our plan is once a month, we'll, we're going to have the mobile studio in different cities for different events. And then Friday night, we'll do a live venue performance or show. So basically, we'll set up a studio on a stage somewhere. And then do Timcast IRL Friday night with a live audience. Nice. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So that's the goal. We're not doing it for Austin. But uh, as for the nonprofit, 
One of the big challenges with forming a nonprofit is that we did it at the end of the year, which means that we're still awaiting approval from the IRS for tax exempt status. The entities exist. We have the, uh, uh, the Truth and Media Foundation and we have the On Network, uh, uh, the On Foundation, sorry, which is technology. I've talked to some potential donors who want to help fund the nonprofits and their mission, but they're like, if I donate now, it's not tax deductible until next month. So we basically have to wait about a month and a half. January 1st, we can then take donations, start hiring and, and things like that. So that's probably when things will kick off. As for the job, it is required that you know how to do research. And we're probably going to have, I think, three people start at the nonprofit. The goal is to issue ratings on news organizations and also issue general fact checks. So we'll have a consistent, like, here's fact checks. We'll, we're going to apply through Pointer for Facebook status and all that stuff like normal. And we're going to fact check anybody. We'll fact check Snopes. Yes. What we're going to do is something unique that people don't do. It's called frame checking. Did this organization omit key context mm-hmm. in their fact check or their news assessment? CNN, for instance, in their story about Kyle Rittenhouse would get a strike saying, falsely framed. In the full testimony, here's what was said. CNN has created a false frame, yada, yada, yada. What are you going to do when the nonprofit you starts turn on you like the intercepted on Glenn? It's only going to be like three employees, though. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's simple. I'll fire them. <laughs> yeah. The thing about the intercept was that Glenn got investment and didn't have full control over the company. Ah, so when they went off the rails, he was like, I guess I have no choice but to quit. Gotcha. For this, it's going to be like three people. And if someone starts violating journalistic ethics, we'll just be like, you aren't violating journalistic ethics. You're fired. Gotcha. Yeah. So we'll see. You know, we'll see how things go. Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says, happy Marine Corps birthday to yes. all my fellow brother and sister devil dogs out there. there May we all wrong. find the clearing at the end of the path. Semper Fi. Mm-hmm. Right on. Oh, this is a good bandana companion says, Hey Tim, did you know that YouTube is taking out the dislike counter on videos? Yes. And it's, and it's obviously just for Joe Biden. <sighs> mm-hmm. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Fauci, whose right. uh, documentary had, uh, I think, 128,000 hey, yep. yep. dislikes. Here's what's going to happen. <laughs> All that's going to happen is people are going to be like, this video has a million views and only 10 likes. Which clearly means it's ratioed. They're not doing anything by getting rid of the dislike button. This is stupid. And it clearly only impacts like Biden and Fauci. Mm -hmm. And major corporations that try to shill on major bullcrap by by being disingenuous. But but are they going to disable its impact on the the algorithm now? That's the the question. No, it's still going to be there. They said it'll – I think you can still see it in the back end. So on your videos, you can see it. But this is so pointless. Creators could disable that feature if they want to disable it. So this whole ruse that it's for people's protection is nonsense. Mm-hmm. Can you disable just one of the like, just the down like? I think it's the like and the dislike altogether. You could you could totally get rid of. Here's a we have a really important uh, super chat, but I can't read Cyrillic, so I'm going to pretend that the Cyrillic is English, and it says, "Ebrem Ebren backwards and backwards n, uh, Anik." Kaha Pab. I, I can't read Cyrillic, nice. whatever. Uh, they said, about pinch to zoom, even simple linear interpolation can create false details in an image, but Apple doesn't use simple interpolation. They've got machine learning support in hardware in 2017. See Apple Neural Engine. And it can do weird things. Just Google Obama DePixel. There are people posting images of how zooming in on like iPhones or whatever can make your image warp and look really weird. So the defense in the Rittenhouse case said the prosecutor tried to impl- inst- uh, bring in evidence by zooming in on an iPad. And he says, no, 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 no. They use, he said, AI 3D <laughs> logarithms. 
in which I should not have made fun of the boomer guy for not understanding what he was talking about. <laughs> but uh, uh, he pointed that out. And then the judge, I think, agreed and said, bring in an expert to prove that's not happening and I'll allow it. And they were like, how are we supposed to do that? And the judge was like, you can't admit evidence unless you can prove it's like real evidence. Uh, uh, the the Rakeda Law uh, crew, when they were streaming, said the, the fact that they would try and zoom in in real time instead of zooming in first, then giving it to a forensic, uh, uh, you know, uh, forensic expert and then admitting it as evidence is absurd. That's what they should they should do. You shouldn't zoom in, in in during court. You should take it home, zoom in, print it, submit it for evidence to be approved, and then have the zoomed in image. Right. You keep handing him the phone and it's locked. And he's like, oh, I got to right. redo my passcode. <laughs> A lot of people saying happy birthday to the Marines. So I'll just shut that out one more happy time. Happy yeah. birthday. Um, Alex Barturin asks about yesterday's IRL episode. I will simply say if an episode does not appear on YouTube, it will be on Rumble. Yeah. So there's there's, you know, obvious reasons that happens. But. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, we've got to put stuff up on Rumble. That's right. Strangely, a lot of our Rumble, our biggest podcast ever was uh, Darren Beatty, and it was on, it was one that we put on Rumble. It got millions of views. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's also there's an opportunity there because uh, Rumble is a core uh, um, audience. It's very active individuals. So if there's a you know a prominent podcast, everyone on Rumble will watch it. So there's there's benefits to when when, when we put it up on Rumble. Revolver drives big traffic too. Revolver definitely great. Yeah. yeah right. So when, you know, he's posting the, the video, too, we definitely get traffic. Trey Marks says, Drew Hernandez is apparently one of the next people testifying. <laughs> so there's another eyewitness account of the attacks on Kyle. And I will, I will just say, I won't get into too many details, but Drew Hernandez is a strong-minded individual. <laughs> he's going to have a clear memory. Mm-hmm. He's going to know the details, and he's going to be confident in his assessment. He'll take no nonsense. I, no nonsense. So when the when the prosecution tries to play manipulative games, I don't think that'll work on someone like Drew Hernandez, who's going to be of sound mind and mental fortitude to explain, here's what I saw, here's what happened. And then when they try and say, but don't you think, no, here's what I saw, here what happened. But isn't it possible? No. Here's what I saw here. Like Richie McGinnis did. That was awesome. Yeah, when he so was great. like, everything you're saying is guesswork. And then Richie goes... Well, he said, F you, and then reach for the gun. That was amazing. <laughs> like, I, I, it's not about whether um, Kyle's right or wrong. It's about, you know, in this instance, I'm referring to journalists who know what they saw, know what they have to say, and will not be manipulated by prosecutors or defense. And, you know, uh, I was just listening to the interview I did with Richie and BG on the scene about all this. Uh, I did it with them earlier this summer. And, uh, or gosh, last year, I can't remember now. Uh, and he, uh, he said very clearly that he couldn't, he wasn't going to give any opinions as to motive, uh, when he was talking to me and that he was going to be a witness in the case and that all he was there to do was to give testimony as to what happened factually. And Richie has held true to that from then all the way through, all the way up until that moment right there on the stand. Right. So kudos to you, Richie McGinnis, man. Terrible. Awesome. I posted a, a funny video. People were saying it was a flex, but I thought it was, I was, you know, poking fun at YouTube. So I, I guess Crowder shot up his, his, his gold plaque or whatever. I think so. Is that, is that what he did? No. Did he do that? Yeah, he did. So. We were just There's talking about that. So yeah. I put did up a video. talking about that? Oh, you're, I put, you're platinum I, one. I put up a video where the, the window over there <laughs> would not stay open. Right. And I was, I legit was like trying to open the window to get some circulation because we're getting work done in the AC unit. The ventilation was shut off and it wouldn't stay open. And I looked over and I saw I have a golden play button. You know, you get when you get a million subscribers. And so the point is I was disrespecting it. Yes. Not that I was flexing that I'm disrespecting YouTube. So I was like, Oh, here we go. And I prop it in the window to keep the window open. <laughs> it's utility. I thought, 
I thought that was the, the some people were like, look at that, he's flexing, like he's got this gold. No, 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 no. I'm disrespecting no, it. It's in the yeah. window. <laughs> it's being used it's, as a it's window still there. prop. It's it a is. great prop. It's perfect. Uh, I mean, we have one on the wall. It's whatever. Well, because there's more than one, Tim. That's true. <laughs> there's four. Correct. Yeah. yeah. There are there are four of them. Actually, we have like eight. I think. We got more for you. I have one. I, I won't put it on the wall until we get to 2 million subscribers. So subscribe. Yes. Yeah, Ian, Ian is a man of principle. He said it's not fair that he would get this because he joined the show and we had like, what, 300? 700, I don't know. No, I don't think we, I think we had like four. It was later. It was like above 500K. Seven, eight. I thought it was, we'll have to check the tape. When, like whenever we hit a milestone, yeah. a, a million plus that number. On the show, yeah. How uh, many subs do you think you had in February when I came on first guest? The first guest? Oh, oh yeah. dude, like we have 30, like, 000. no, we had like a hundred and eight. Did we already? Yeah. Like a, like a hundred thousand. Because the channel already had 70 before, as soon as we started. Oh, that's right. right. Because I tweet, I was like tweeting it, I was posting it on, on YouTube because I had other videos on it. And then within like a month, we had like a hundred. It was just you and me that day. Yeah, yeah, it was just you and me. So we, we, the show has evolved. Now we got, now Luke's here. It really picked up steam in like August, (laughs) August to November of 2020. The election. It it got hot in those like four months. uh, It was September was a massive increase. October was huge. And then November was, uh, October to November was the biggest. I was here even for the the million subscriber episode as well. We were, we were getting like 150,000 concurrence during the election. I mean, it was crazy. I remember. uh, That party we had. Everybody appreciate you watching, man. Yeah. Was it the New Year's? Eve party or did we have election the day. election, election day party? Yeah. That was incredible. So we should great. do that again. That, that was really, really fun. fun yeah. During the midterms, we should. Yes. During like you know, we should do we, that. what we did during the election day was we had a rope. We had so many people here, and people would just come in and take a seat. Seamus was Seamus was running things for a That's hot right. minute. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he took the, he took the steering wheel. Did, Didn't yeah. let go either. <laughs> uh, I got to read this one. It's good. As Snork says, been watching for so long. I missed the old stream starting GIF. I finally got to donate. I also got a step on snack shirt, which I can't wait to get. As a gay furry, I feel very isolated in my political views. This is a great place to relax and feel sane. LOL. <laughs> and you know what? I want to read that because I, I, I don't, I don't care who you are, what you believe, how you want to live, whatever. We're, we're trying to just be honest in our assessment and not be, uh, um, not judge people who want to live the way they want to live. I mean, that's what, that's why I think it's crazy that they say that we're conservative. And I think it's a political tactic because we're actually fairly progressive on social issues. We are just not as far left as they are. Not everybody I know Lydia is conservative. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely not. But but this is like a mixed bag <laughs> of, I mean, like, you know, one of the things you pointed out is that one of the things that allowed you to become, to vote Republican was that Republicans opened up to gay marriage. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, uh, in, in a traditional sense for this country, that's actually kind of progressive yeah. on, on social issues. So we're, we're not staunch conservatives in that regard. Of we're course, mostly libertarian. Of course, that would be the issue that got Jack. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand your insinuation. <laughs> nothing. I mean, no, it's great. That's awesome. You know, because Jack it's, it's, believes in liberty and individuals' yeah. right to choose and yeah, live the lives they want to live. I'm just saying, great job. You know, <laughs> like that's, that's causing really trouble great. I can't, I can't wait for the special that we do where me and Luke box. Yes, it's great. <laughs> we can. Be you got the pads. I got, I got, I got boxing gloves. I got pads. I've been shadow back How for about a bit. for February? We'll do it for we can do a charity match. We'll do it for yeah. charity. Uh, so winner, <laughs> winner's charity uh, gets the whole you know prize in, or whatever. In January, in January we're probably going to Nashville. In March we're probably going to Florida. But in February we don't got any plans. How about we take the you know we, we take the trailer out to like Freedomistan and set up a, 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 a boxing arena. And but if you night. lose, you got to get a tattoo that says "I love Luke Radowski on, oh on yourself somewhere on your body. I don't think it's going to. I mean, I, I, I would take I, that bet because I don't think you're going to lose. I do <laughs> yeah. suspect exactly. That <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, take that bet. There should be some odds for sure. 
you know, but uh, we're not in the same weight limit, first of all. But uh, that doesn't stop. I don't know. It looks pretty close. (laughs) 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 I'm just big boned. Let's read. Let's read some more super chats. Let's read some more. All right, Kevin Brady says two things. Watched the trial and the coverage of this is gross, and I don't see anything getting better. I sent you an email regarding a cult documentary for up here in Washington State. I'm a filmmaker. Oh, interesting. Well, well, I'll, I'll, I will take a. I will look for it. It's very refreshing to talk about the case here and to know that there's so many thousands of people uh, listening because it's actually this is a good. We want to give <laughs> more than MSNBC. Yeah, like legitimate yeah, coverage sure. to this court case. I think mm-hmm. it's it, it's remarkable to me. You know, I see the news about MSNBC losing Brian Williams. They're bleeding talents. You know, Brian's out there is going like, wow, what's happening? And I'm just like, maybe regular people can only be lied to so many times. That's true. I think what's happening with the uh, moms who are being called racist, they're probably sitting around their dining room table also being like, I'm hoping, uh, man, you know, they're calling me racist. I want... I wonder if all those other people they've been calling racist aren't actually racist mm-hmm. too. Some someone Someone tweeted a good point. I remember who it was. But maybe it was you. I don't know. They said it's going to be a major red pill when people who have been following the Rittenhouse trial see how the news covered it. Yeah. Maybe it was Ian Miles Strong. But there's probably a lot of regular people who see the see, you know, um, uh, there have been a few channels that have been playing it like ABC seven Chicago has got a live stream on YouTube. There's probably a lot of people who are interested and they're watching the trial. I mean, it is it is interesting for a lot of people to understand what's going on. And then they read CNN and go, what? I was talking to uh, Steve Hilton last night on the way down here, and I was like, you know, most of the people who changed their mind about Trump did so because they watched one of his speeches. Right. Not commentary yep. about his speech, just one of his speeches. So watching this trial, I think, is going to be like a red pill dispensary as well. It'll be great. Luke's over there laughing. You read, you read in the comments, dude? <laughs> yeah, I can't help it. Like, Luke. Oh, God. I think there, I was a, there was a really great comment by Cassandra Fairbanks. She tweeted that at first she thought it was a really bad idea for them to put Kyle Rittenhouse on the stand. Yeah. But then she saw him breaking down and she thought to herself, you know, something like, get this baby off the stand as a mother, like watching him be attacked. And he's just a young guy. So maybe maybe that's what their goal was. Really, the reason uh, people were criticizing the defense for not objecting to the badgering from the prosecution. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe the goal was we get him to testify and he does a good job, but he also breaks down and, and he shows his humility and his fear and remorse. And yeah, panic. But, yeah, but the guys on the other side, they all took that as him being, uh, rem- you know, just afraid that he's going to jail because he's admitting, you know, being on the on the stand and it's becoming clear that he committed right, right, right. murder. But I, I want to just point but, out one thing. Real quick. My point here is not that the, you know, they're going to convince the left. Yeah. It's that the jury who supposedly has limited information on this, what are they going to see? A guy crying. Not necessarily perfect. Because it, he may be crying because he might go to jail, right? Like you said. However, the prosecution then badgers him. And so the jury sees an annoying prosecution that's wasting their time by asking the same question a million times. And they see a defense compassionately, you know, speaking with a defendant who's traumatized. Yeah. Uh, Joe Kent, the uh, congressional candidate from Washington mm-hmm. State, uh, he had a really nice tweet today where he said that uh, as a guy who's been in combat, uh, him uh, and his wife who was killed in combat, uh, he said that uh, everyone reacts differently to re- remembering instances in which you were forced to kill somebody or experiencing this kind of trauma. And uh, I was just really pleased to see Joe put out such a empathetic uh, leadership to kind of tweet like that, saying that like, emotions and and trauma and people react to that in different ways and we should respect the way that kyle is reacting to that because irrespective of his motive killing somebody is got is 
got to be horrible. And we should also give that to Alec Baldwin. Mm. Yeah, but he's an ass. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. No, I agree. I completely, yeah. 100% agree. My my thing about Alec Baldwin is just we should be. Wait, pro- but have we seen him break down and cry in remorse? That was the well, first whole, image from L.A. Times is him crying on the phone. Well, I, don't I don't know if, if he was crying, yeah, but he he's looked, like distraught very much so. Yeah. What, I, what I'm trying to say is. I approached the Rittenhouse case by looking at, talking to the witnesses. Literally, first I watched the video. We bring the witnesses in and we try to the best of our ability to know the facts. What I'm saying with Alec Baldwin is we must do the same thing. And if the initial reports of a blank misfiring and shrapnel hitting a person are not true, we need to erase from our minds our prejudice, assuming there was an accident, and start with the, with the core facts. And then work our way back from how it happened. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's guilty. I'm not saying there's proof that he did anything wrong. I'm saying just that it's absurd for us to assume it was an accident. We we don't have any reason to believe that. We just have a story about a guy who pulled out a gun and shot We somebody. should honor the victim by being open to what the facts in the court says. But the DA says they know who put the bullet in there. We'll so, more soon. Um, that, that makes me feel like it was has, not has Alec Has been Alec been arrested? I don't, I don't know, but he was instructed not to talk about it by the police, he said. Well, if they know who put the bullet in there and Alec Baldwin hasn't been arrested, can you make the connection that it's not him? No, because he's high profile and famous and they know it would cause a very big uproar. And in fact, if they knew who put the bullet in there and it was a crew member, the crew member would be arrested instantly. The fact, uh, In fact, I would argue that no crew member has been arrested when the DA says they know who did it. Oh, so suggest it was Alec Baldwin. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. That's why I'm saying, like, we shouldn't make assumptions about the case. Though there are assumptions there as well, which is I try to make the, I try to make the least amount. Yeah, and we all and we all were influenced by the initial stories. That's why we're even having this conversation. So just be ever vigilant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. All right, Trash Panda says this trial proves to me that we need a national divorce. We cannot peacefully exist next to people like Bicep Guy or the prosecutor. National divorce now before it's too late. It's a it's a scary prospect. But uh, I understand why, why more and more people keep saying it. And, and it's not a right-wing thing. It, John Podesta, Boston Globe, reported this, that he said the West Coast should secede from the union if Trump wins the election. Podesta is a global hack. He's, he's like the military-industrial complex Absolutely. in a suit. Mm-hmm. But he's, he works on the Clinton campaign. He worked on the Clinton campaign. He's a high-profile Democratic operative. My, my point is only to say that there are Democratic establishment actors who are calling for the dissolution of the United States. Yeah. CCP is doing that, too. Absolutely. And that's why I think it's a bad idea. Because then China comes in. I don't and, know. I don't, but, you know, I, I say it's a bad idea on the global scale. I do think there's a problem when you have leftists who don't care about the truth and want, want suffering. They, they can say whatever they want all day and night about Q people being dumb. But when they're like, I want someone to go to prison for the sake of me feeling good as a winner. I'm like, yo, that's evil. It's this balance of like having a free society that gives freedom to people that would do the society harm. Mm-hmm. And so then they become more authoritarian to protect society from those people and then start protecting it from other people that maybe aren't I th- dangerous. I, I think dividing it might be the way to cause least amount of harm. If you want harm reduction, you got to have some kind of civil divorce. Yeah. Mutual defense pact, sure, but I mean, I was talking about it for years. Mm. It's needed. All right, let's read some more. We got uh, John Hutto says the Young Turks has subs, but not views. Five million subs, forty thousand views on twenty-four hour old stories. Their subs left the platform for Reddit and Twitter in twenty twelve. How much money have they blown on staff and studio? I think a big a big factor is, as we mentioned, 
the Young Turks, CNN, MSNBC. You know, you know, Tucker, Tucker Carlson used to be on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. It, it was used a bow tie. crossfire, right? No, 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 no. It was Tucker oh, Carlson's oh, his eponymous show. I, I don't know if it was eponymous, but he was a host on MSNBC. Yeah, no, so, but he hosted a crossfire type. It was show. great. He yeah. did. He he was he was one of the main guys on. I think it was CNN's crossfire. Oh, right, right, right. But right. he was also he had a show on MSNBC. Yeah, he got fired. Here, here, here's what I think happens to the Young Turks. Why is it that they have five million subs, but they're only getting forty thousand views on their videos? The subs are from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. People subscribe to the Young Turks, and then over time, as the Young Turks drifted further and further left, many of these people said. I don't care to watch that video anymore. Not intentionally, not like I hate the Young Turks, but very simply, if Chent Uger puts up a video saying war bad, you know, establishment bad, someone clicks that. I like this video. Over time, they start putting up more videos saying establishment good. People will say, I'm not going to click that video. They get less views. But those people already subscribed to the channel. So you look at like a Crowder, for instance, and he's got, I think, five million, but he gets like a million, which it's makes sense, right? Yeah. And then we get we get like 80 to 100K on clips from this show with a million subs. The Young Turks have five times the subs, but, you know, a third of the viewership. I think that's simply because they've been around for a long time and they've churned a large portion of their audience. Mm. And I'm not saying it to be disrespectful. I just think over time. <laughs> the rest of it's been disrespectful. Forget that. <laughs> I think I, did, I subscribed to them in 2007. I You're probably watch. still subscribed. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm checking now. It's yeah. slow internet. Not only that, but YouTube <laughs> props them up. Oh, yeah, yeah they do. Very much. All right, let's see what we got. Johnny Knoxville. Oh, really, Johnny? Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Says, Ayanna Presley got 100,000 retweets calling Rittenhouse a white supremacist. Defamation. White supremacist is an opinion and not an actionable statement, mm. unfortunately. If she said that he went to a white supremacist rally, then... Statement of fact. Well, maybe. Because she could argue that a, a rally of right-wingers is a white supremacist. That's her opinion. If she said it was like a Klan rally, something proper and specific, then you could be like, I never did that. So that Biden tweet where he shows Kyle or is that doctored? I don't know about that, but let me, let me clarify. When I was saying if, if, if they said he went to a white supremacist rally and he never went to a rally, then it's libelous because he didn't take an action. If he went to a Trump rally and she said white supremacist rally, it's not actionable because it's her opinion. Mm -hmm. Nazi is in fact an opinion as well. Like if you, if, if I've talked to a bunch of lawyers about this and they're like, everybody knows the word is rather meaningless. Everyone calls everybody a Nazi or a fascist. Yeah. So it's not actionable. So you could, if they she, said man, were, but to, today, but like say five, six, eight years ago, it had much different impact. If they say, if, if someone said like person X is a card carrying member of the Nazi party, mm. then you could be like, that's de- defamatory and not true. The problem then is you still need damages. Mm. So it is not easy. Not, not, not easy. All right, let's grab some more super chats. What do we got? James Week says, I agree with the judge. Better 10 guilty men go free than one innocent be punished. ADA, Binger, and the mainstream media are the guilty ones walking free. Mm. That's right. They, they are bad, bad people. The prosecutor is a bad dude. You know, I, I just... He, he, Cernovich tweeted out, this guy knew he's gotten away with this in the past, and he wasn't you know, ready for a real judge. You look at what this guy does, and it is just outright disdain and disrespect for our values, for our system. And this is what I was saying before. The problem is this guy violates the Constitution overtly. And the judge says, but I want to preserve this this legal system. And I'm like, then you allow the liars, cheaters, deceivers, the stealers to keep destroying the system. I I think a a justified mistrial would be something society would be very good for society. 
in modern day? I don't normally read crypto posts, but this one I must. Jackson H says, while the rest of the crypto market is tanking, the FJB token just pumped over 300% today, and the founder donated another 10K to military charities. Wow. Don't miss out on the ride. Tim, Jack, I know you want to. Let's go, Brandon. Uh, I'm not going to buy FJB token, but I just think it's hilarious. 300%? I tried to buy it last night. So that's what they're saying. Is it, tanking. It, Bitcoin down 3%. Ethereum down 2%. Yeah, no. Crypto's been through the roof. It's insane. Yeah. Oh, what does the guy talking about? Tanking. I think he's making a joke. Oh, I see. The FJB. Because as soon as he said that, I pulled out my phone. I was like, wait, really? What's going on? <laughs> there's, there's also the let's, time to buy. There's let's go Brandon token and FJB token because making tokens takes five minutes. Gotcha. But I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. I don't care for useless tokens where they just try and sell them. But if someone said they were making a token with the express purpose of fundraising for a charity, meaning you buy the tokens and the proceeds from the organization that released them uses that to fund, you know, military charities like they did. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Basically, that just means buying the token as a donation. Mm-hmm. Some people are trying to speculate, maybe get rich off of it, but it means that the core organization can be helping out. I like the idea. I don't know if that counts as a security. I don't think so. <clears throat> All right. Trinidad Shop of the Pressure, Batacaf Care says, please get Rakeda on Timcast and teach him how to say my name. Huh. Why? Because he can't say Trinidad I'll, I'll go slow. <laughs> Truin Inana Shaba Depressure Batacaf Care. Very simple. I sat there listening to it on loop. Of course you did. And transcribing <laughs> it. I slowed it down, pitch shifted it. Truin Inana Shaba Depressure. <laughs> and then I wrote it out. Profound, yes. Yeah, because people were saying Truin Elizabeth Bishopur Pressure or something like that. And I was like, There's you guys didn't L even try, man. Retweeted no without Z. comment. <laughs> yeah, There's no Z in there. I don't even speak proper English, so I'm impressed. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right, let's see. Rompot Mechanico says, Tim, can you look into Evergrande, the second largest real estate developer in China, defaulted on its mm-hmm. bonds today in the amount of $148 million. I heard this. Indeed. I've been tracking it passively. The story about Evergrande, this could be could precipitate a major collapse in the global markets. Mm-hmm. China's phony real estate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. We'll see. Everyone in finance markets have known that the Chinese debt industry and all that has been overblown for decades. I worked at a private equity firm on a hedge fund uh, in 98, 9, 2000, 2001. And even then, every comment about China was just all lie, all lie, mm-hmm. all fabricated. Nobody's trusted anything that's come out of there forever. Why would you? Which is why, why did we trust any of those videos that were coming out from Wuhan in November and December yep. of people falling over and stories of like billions of cell phones being taken offline? That was weird, right? Yeah. yeah. So like that was, you know, people believed that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the nation bought that. Bats line. peeing on people. I mean, this is all Chinese, man. Well, I mean, let, let's... Uh, South Park really nailed the origin story <laughs> yeah. on that one. Let's get... Uh, we'll do two more, two more quick ones. We got Andrew Sutton. He says... Alec Baldwin is a Top Gun actor, so I suppose he was in Top Gun. I don't know. I'm not no. sure. No, I don't think so. he wasn't. Definitely right, and that not. was wrong. I don't think so. And then Agdaber says the armor was inexperienced and has made mistakes before. She only had the job because her father was the lead prop master. I did hear that. Interesting point. However, this means that the armor made a mistake, handed it to another person who made a mistake, who handed it to another person who made a mistake, who then shot a woman. I mean, that's just a big, it's, that's many leaps. You know what I mean? So maybe it's possible. Sometimes people win the lottery. You get the numbers, they line up, and it's astronomical odds. We went to the casino a couple of weeks ago. You put, you know, 
20 bucks on 26 and then, you know, we ended up winning a bunch of money because sometimes 26 comes up. And if there's an ethos of people not taking precautions on the set, if that's the production company's method, then you're going to get five and six people not take precautions all at once. That's possible. All right, everybody, smash that like button if you haven't already done so. Subscribe to this channel. Take that URL. Post it everywhere. If every single person took the URL right now and just posted on all their social media, we'd big, we would be bigger than CNN overnight. Yes. But I guess some people don't, and you don't have to. We just appreciate it if you did. But go to TimCast.com and become a member. We have a massive library. You can search through all of the different guests, guests we've had for these members-only segments, and we will have a members-only segment coming up. Posted around 11 or so p.m. You can follow the show at Timcast IRL. You can follow me personally at Timcast. Check out my Instagram. Follow me there. And uh, Jack, you got anything to shout out? Uh, I definitely do. You can follow me on Twitter at Jack Murphy Live. In fact, all over the internet, Instagram, everywhere, Jack Murphy Live. Uh, also, check out JackBrunch.com. We're coming to the San Francisco area in two weeks. We were just in Austin, beautiful city. We had uh, about 90 people come out for brunch. It was fantastic. People leave feeling joyful and uplifted they make new friends and it's just a really cool experience to be around a hundred people that see the world the same way that you do know this know the same media people speak the same language and are going to view events through a similar filter it's a lot of fun and uh you guys should come down check it out right on maybe one day Um, (laughs) if you're subscribed to look uncensored.com don't forget to check out today's video i had a very interesting conversation about the occult demonic forces satanism All of that is available on LukeUncensored.com. Hope to see some of you guys there. Thanks for having me. Um, Also, ecstatic that you guys are back and um, happy to be here. My name is Ian Crossland. Check me out on social media if you'd like to, and I'll see you later. And I am Sarah Petulis, and I do want to say that I do love my crayon eaters in the Marines. So happy birthday to the Marine Corps. My brother was a Marine, and I have deep respect. They are badasses, so definitely shout out to them. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Petulis. We will see all of you over at TimCast.com in the member segment. Thanks for hanging out. Bye, guys.